Yo, what's good, everybody? And welcome to another interview over here at Behind That Suit. We are, in fact, live on Twitch. For those of you watching this after, make sure to follow us up on the Twitch to catch all the interviews. We've actually got a bunch coming, but today is a very special day for me. We have on the call with us, as you can see, Mr. Seeb Dread. Now, if you don't know this, man, you are missing out on some somebody truly fantastic in this game. So... I happen to be like looking into him a bunch and I just wanted to like just kind of give you a little introduction because you know a lot of interviews they just go and ask you a bunch of questions about the music whatever I'm gonna tell you that this guy is a very commendable man I watched a lot of interviews now that's more interesting to me personally and you know that every single one of these interviews the man had he brought up where he comes from he brought up his hood a little burgundy in Montreal he gave shout outs and loves to where he came from in every single interview I saw this man speak it was positivity it was just community building it was just humility it was just this constant slew of great messaging and just admirable things and let me tell you something this guy has put in serious time into the game when you listen to his music you hear the craft you hear just the tight precisions of his flow and everything it's just this is a real legend. He's one of those guys that maybe you have not heard of, but after today, you should absolutely be going and checking out the man's music and, and giving it a shot. Because not only is he talented as an MC, he is one of the most versatile artists I think I've come across in terms of being able to deliver an insane variety of vocal styles across like any conceivable beat sound you can think of. So for all of that, Mr. Seabjet, I thank you for being such an interesting person and creating such a catalog, eight albums, folks, catalog of work that is out there for us to all go and enjoy. So anyway, I just wanted to start it like that, giving you some love. How are you doing today? Oh, man, I appreciate the love. You know, I am very humbled by it <laughs> pardon the chronic chronic it's music. all good man That's don't me. worry i'll be i'll be oh, no. sparking at some point soon <laughs> <laughs> most definitely but yeah i appreciate it man i'm doing good today you know a little bit somber but i'm so glad i get to talk to you tonight and take my mind off a little bit of the things we're dealing with today you know well, yeah for sure we're here we're in the mix let's party you know <laughs> so just to let everyone know I consider Seab Dread to be like a hybrid Montreal artist because y'all know I'm on that mission to like shout out Montreal everywhere I go. As I understand it, you start off in New Brunswick, you come to Montreal, and then you go back to New Brunswick. Is that how your trajectory a little bit works? Yeah, sort of like I was born in New Brunswick in Orbuck, though, and uh, raised a little bit in Fredericton and Burton and... Uh, well, by the age of six, it was time to go. My dad took me up to Montreal and we had stops in Thunder Bay as a real toddler and stuff like that. But Montreal is where we, where we planted our foundation, you know. Went to Royal Arthur Elementary School, RIP. It's not there anymore, but that's in Burgundy, you know. We say if you're a real Burgundy boy or a real Burgundy homie, you went to Royal Arthur, you know what I mean? Hmm. Props out to the people trying to bring the NCC Negro Community Center back. That's dope. But then, yeah, so I spent most of my life in Montreal, you know, a little bit of time in Toronto, Ottawa, Kingston, but most of it, like elementary, high school, that's all Montreal. Okay, you know so that's I mean? like your, like, foundational element. So I like to, like, walk through the story of a person because 
I mean, we could ask a bunch of questions, but a lot of that typical boring interview stuff is already been answered in many other interviews. Like, yo, check out the stuff you do at 514 Online Mix recently. Big shout outs to them. It gave a lot of great foundational information that I used to be able to come and talk to Steve Dredd today. <laughs> so it was really helpful. But I like the idea of like looking at the beginning, right? So I had this epiphany recently, right? And I'm going to bring this up on all the interviews, people watching that, you know, if you get bored of this question, oh, well. So I realized as my girlfriend is washing some dishes that she's bumping like 10-year-old club music. And then I realized all this shit that is club music today is going to become like moms doing chores music one day. And that led me wondering, Mr. Seab Dredd, when you were growing up, what was the chores music? What was the stuff that was being played in your household as a youth a young dude that started your foundational introduction to the music world. Because I think that's where it all starts for all of us, what our parents bumped. Listen, my dad was a, a huge country and western fan, man. You know what I mean? And I'm telling you, back in those days, country and western was real country and western. If you didn't cry when you heard a country and western song, there was something wrong with you. Mm. Believe me. And uh, and Motown, R&B, uh, sometimes some Jimi Hendrix, but uh, a lot of reggae music, pretty much a plethora of all kinds of things. And my mother, my mother, she, she was an opera singer. You know what I no mean? No shit. No, like my mother, up, your mom. An, uh, mother, mother was an opera singer. She could hit notes called A High Over C, Breaking Glass. She uh, competed. Did your mom actually break glass singing? She she had a competition, broke the glass. No shit. See, but I don't mean to glass. cut you off. Do you think you could move your camera down just a little bit, just a teensy bit? There you go. Now, perfect. All right. So, yo, your mom was sincerely able to break the glass in a competition. That's a real thing. Back in the day, that was a real thing, and it's it's all about the how the voice vibrates and beautiful note that comes out that just shatters like shatters pierce your soul you know what i mean like that's why you hear these opera singers singing and it's you can't understand anything but you don't want it to stop mm, that's a good you point know? you don't want it to stop because it's hitting you someplace you can't see but you can surely feel and my, my mom introduced me to all kinds of music. Motown, you know what I mean? We moved to Toronto a bit, hip-hop. My mother, she she couldn't accept. Life happens, you know what I mean? And she was awarded a, a certain amount in a scholarship from Oscar Peterson, but life happened. She couldn't accept it. She gave it to the runner-up. And uh, that's how things are. But that doesn't escape the fact that she broke the glass, man. <laughs> like, no, that is honestly an incredible thing to hear. First of all, I didn't even know that was a thing. But also just like when you ask people the question, like what did your parents listen to? You not often expect such an eclectic mix of things, right? Because like ultimately you're a hip hop artist today. A multi-genre hip hop artist with a lot of skill sets. <clears throat> but to have such a, a cross of like country and all of that stuff on one side mixed with like opera and okay, the Motown. Okay, that, that that's a clearer path to hip hop. But the opera just caught me off guard for it. You must be very cultured. You, like, you must have a wide palette of like musical interest then, right? I it's I try to find the hip hop in everything, man. In everything. Can, can you elaborate on that? Okay, so uh, you're standing at the street light, you know what I mean? And a Harley Davidson rolls up and it's... Boom, 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 boom. 
So okay. I'm gonna find I'm gonna find the hip hop in there in my head. I'm fucking freestyling, right? I'm like, oh my god, this is sick. You know what I mean? Rain dripping from from a rooftop hitting the ground but always not always on time so you gotta force yourself to figure out where the snare is you know and, and, and try to land that you know and you find the hip-hop in anything i rapped with a, a rockabilly band playing a, a, a really sped up johnny cash song at a harvest jazz and blues festival and it, it was so fun. It was so much fun. I, I literally rap to anything. There's hip hop in everything. I love how you said that, man. It reminds me a bit of Bjork. I know that might be a random connection, but uh, that that's kind of like a main premise of that Dancing in the Dark movie she does. Where like I don't know if you've seen it, uh, but like she ends up in a factory and she just hears the sounds and she like constructs like a song in her head out of it. And ever since I saw that movie, I actually can relate to this a little bit. I'll be like on the bus or something and I. I hear the and so like when you're saying this, I'm like, damn, Steve feels the music. Like, and you can hear it in his flow when you rap. Like, you can just hear how much you can just connect to it. But um, let's go back to your youth a little bit. So you're a youngster. You got this little musical influence. I'm gonna assume. Did you like? Were you like playing instruments or anything like that when you were a little one? No, I was break dancing. You know. That's cool. When did I you get into that? Oh, as soon as it came out, man, as soon as like we went to Toronto in the 80s and it was on and popping, but, you know, but I, I was into hip-hop, Sugar Hill Gang, when that first came out. I was the only, I, I, I think I was the only kid in Burgundy at that time when I was a kid who could spit the whole long version of Rapper's Delight to anybody who asked me to, and I would do it. We'd be there for 15 minutes every word. It was on the popper. And after a while, you know, moved out, moved to Verdun and hung out in Verdun. I went to school in Verdun and, you know, met some other type of people and started getting into heavy metal and rock and roll and kind of enjoyed the Kiss for, for a minute. So I wanted to be uh, the drummer for Kiss. I wanted to be that guy that's kind of messed up because I'm a serious Busy. hardcore hip hop artist. Gonna... But I think I really uh... wanted to be, be that fella. But after a while, then you know what I mean. Start moving around different neighborhoods, different things. I start looking at life differently as um, racism starts coming into play, and I start becoming a victim of these things and realizing, you know what, I, you know, I, I don't think I could ever possibly be white ever. So now I'm 12 years old. It's time for me to embrace my own culture that embraces me more. And, and even sometimes I'm not black enough for a darker skinned dude, but fuck all that black so this is, is not, like for this, me uh, my skin tone isn't gonna tell you how black i am but my heart sure will respect um so i'm gonna assume then that this the race element has played a huge part in your story from an earlier age than from what you're saying here oh for sure definitely my father's black my mother's white mm. um one side of the family is less accepting than the other side of the family based on old teachings you know so of course i'm going to gravitate toward the love and from understanding you correctly because i mean if you look at the musical landscape today a lot of that racial divisiveness like the idea of rock being a white thing and hip-hop being like a black thing or that's that's like dead right like that's i mean mostly moved we've moved it, past it that in a lot of ways rock's a but, black thing 
but like that's facts actually yo when you actually look into the history big fucking facts i respect that a lot um but what i guess i was trying to say is i don't really often think about the racial divide of music like as it would have been when you were younger just because i'm a little bit younger than you so in my reality it was a little bit different in the 2000s when i was going through high school let's say so I guess I'm curious a little bit about what it was like to have to deal with that kind of musical, like it's almost like music becomes part of your identity and you have to like attach onto it. And so my group is this thing. So we like this music. I mean, I might be misinterpreting it, but that's kind of how it came off to me. And if that's the case, what was that like? Like, was that like troublesome if you wanted to be more open-minded? For me, I think everybody do what was different off the jump. You know what I mean? Because I could coagulate with a lot of different people because a musician first, you know? Right. Human musician first. And after that, I'm a rapper because I can't sing, you know? But I can chat down Babylon like the best of both. I've never been to Jamaica in my life, but influences, you know, musical influences, friends and areas and neighborhoods and Burgundy and Nays. NDG, you know what I mean? And whole different network of people, reggae bands that I've played in. So it kind of aided me you to played be in reggae more bands too. Yeah, man. I, 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 I think I did know that actually. For um, the last 15 or 16 years, I played in a reggae band called Dub Antenna. Uh, we just finished playing uh, the Harvest Jazz and Blues Festival 29 and a half this year, which was cool. That's really amazing. So if I understand then, you were exposed to a lot of music and then you kind of ended up landing on hip hop because given the circumstances of your time, it made the most sense. And I assume being a break dancer, I, and you were break dancing. Did you like get into it competitively, like in high school or anything? Like, did you get girls oh, like yeah. that? That must've helped you get girls. We used to, we used to battle every, all the time, you know what I mean? But it wasn't like team battles and stuff. For, for for my generation, a, a battle happened on the street. You know what I mean? There were certain areas that people would hang out. We had ghetto blasters out, cardboard on the floor, and a couple of dudes doing their thing. We'll roll up and see what's up. You know what I mean? But it never got violent. You know what I mean? But it, we totally diss you. <laughs> the disses were real, you know, and we kept it easy. And then later so on, like... like- back in the day like boom boxes and stuff like straight up you would have hit like the beats playing and you would basically it almost like like a rap battle but like a a, a b-boy battle right yeah man a b-boy battle that's a fucking b-boy fresh battle, straight up straight up and it was always dope always fun track suits and all you know what i mean like it was always fresh there was always somebody who had some new move they created that would blow everybody away. So then, of course, we'd all try to learn that move. And, you know what I mean? But it would never be as good as the dude who invented it and does it mm-hmm. all the time. You know what I mean? we try it just, he'd be there. You know what I mean? we try that move if he didn't do it yet, just to see if we could do it, knowing we're going to mess it up completely. But That's yeah, man, back there, battling was not about killing each other or beef or, you know what I mean? Just because I put in work longer than another MC doesn't necessarily make me better or finer. It, it, it just means that I got a little more experience to stay in the game. That is definitely an interesting part about you because effectively what we're hearing here is 
you you've been in the game for i guess over three decades then i mean not to sell out your age so much but if that's the case and you started in your teenage years that's like well over three years three decades worth of like active hip-hopping because i consider b-boying to be as active a hip-hop element as emceeing or any of the other active elements right that is a truly commendable longevity like you might you you live this like this is your lifestyle rather than anything else then uh yeah but it's every day it's hip-hop to me you know inspired by everything i see if it's still here god damn it god bless you you made it let's get it that's an amazing attitude um so how did you end up transitioning from breakdancing into rhyming and when did how did that come to be like what was going on also were you like working at the time were you like in high school with like a job breakdancing like what's a little bit of the teenage seed like Teenage C was uh, slightly crooked, always looking for a way to have more than, uh, more, than, more than what my parents could provide. And sometimes it wasn't always uh, legal, you know, it wasn't always a, 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 a law-abiding citizen like I am now, you know. <laughs> uh, but we yeah, you know, we, we, we all do those things that make us uh, stronger. But uh, life was easy, man. You know, I didn't have it too rough growing up. Sometimes we didn't have much. But we always had love, you know what I mean? And, and that was the most important part. And breakdancing after that, I feel I feel like, I don't know, but from breakdancing to freestyling was like a natural progression. Like it was okay. bound to happen, you know? So then. Plus all the people I hung out with, you know, uh, shout out to Tari King, Nightcat King, Quam King. These are original Verdunites uh, and huge musicians. They inspired me a lot because, geez, Tari, he could freestyle like the best of them back in the day. We'd be on the bus, and that just amazed me. So after a while, I just wanted to keep going with what he gave me, you know, what God gave him. So it was just like <coughs> a gift that I keep sharing now. and motivating people under me to get into hip-hop but not necessarily for money you got to do stuff because you love it you know what i mean money come later you know what i mean i work a regular nine to five job right now but do you think that's gonna stop me from rushing record nope, nope. i not mean I'm, a little anecdote about Seeb. the other day he had a little hard situation happen in his life he sends me these rhymes I swear the next day the song's on fucking SoundCloud or Bandcamp, sorry. And yo, all of his links, everybody, on the Twitch, maybe not, but for everywhere else when you watch this after, all of the links in the description. Make sure to go check out the Bandcamp. Make sure to go follow and show some love. Any of the socials, hit that like on the Facebook, all that good stuff. Um, but yeah, sorry, I got distracted for a quick second there. But um, <laughs> Yeah, that's. I just I thought your ethic was incredible, and I love the fact that even in the midst of working, because you know I work a full time job too, right? Like I was at like work nine to five, and then uh you know busted out a little workout, came over here, and now we're on this interview, and then you know the grind just keeps on. But I agree with you. I love this. I know that by the end of this conversation, I'm gonna learn some interesting stuff, and that makes it a great night. And uh, this guy has a lot to teach. Um, something that I thought was super fascinating, and I'm all over the place. It's going to be a fucking mess of a conversation. Uh, I love but, it. I love it. Uh, is that you brought up D-Shade as a core element of early Montreal hip-hop, and you shared that to the world. Now, for me, that's cool because I'm NDG, right? And D-Shade's yeah, NDG. Man. But well, also, I, 
I, I came up with this mission to like kind of document the whole history of Montreal. So to see you out there just sharing that love to the maritime folks or whoever it was, I don't remember which, which interview you did it on, but to whoever it was, just to show that love, to show that respect to the elders that came before you in terms of, I don't know if you came before who, whatever, but it, I mean, as far as I understand it, DJ had opened for Backstreet Boys, so he's like hella king at some point in time. So the fact okay. that you're, you're educating people, that that's respectful to me. And I, I just have to give you that big ups again. Let me tell you, man, getting a microphone from D-Shade was like, oh, my God, man. Listen, they had uh, freestyle sessions, open mics. It's, I think it was started at the Voltaire, then it went to the jungle. But, man, if you weren't tight and ready, you weren't getting a mic, man. And it took me weeks and months to get them to trust me that when I was freestyling, that would be tight. And when they did get the mic, they were mildly impressed. And I, I, I kept getting them, mic, and it was beautiful, the love that they showed me. But I knew I had to put in work to get that microphone, you know. I had to shine my craft. I had to stay away for a bit and freestyle to myself, walking around the city of Montreal with, you know, if I ain't got a job at that moment, then that's what I'm doing, you know, and then me trying to hone my craft. And eventually, how, how man, it just fucking was... clicked. What's that? How, how old were you when all this was happening with the D-Shades? I think I was in my late 20s. Yeah. So I'm going to assume there's going to be some history between the late 20s because you're a teenager freestyling and then you transition into freestyling at some point, right? When does that transition take place in your life? Like from break that shit to freestyling and going yeah, becoming, live? Or... Yeah, just becoming that MC that you are today. Like at some point you had to become, I don't know, actually, when did you become Seab Dread? Is that even your first uh, MC name or did you have a different name before that? Uh, I was, I've always been Seab, you know, uh, okay. ever since a kid, like going to high school, people would refer to you as your last name, Claiborne, and you know what I mean? Hey, Claiborne, pass the ball, or Claiborne, stop being a dick, or Claiborne, you can't have my money, put it back, or something. But as we started breakdancing and playing basketball and listening to hip-hop, it went from Claiborne to Seaborne. And then one day we were hanging out. Banging our heads, this is after break dancing, just chilling, listening to some hip hop. I think we were listening to NWA and smoking a big blunt. And my buddy Chewy goes, Seab, Seab, pass the blunt, man. I'm like, what? What? What'd you say, bro? He said, pass the blunt. I'm like, no, before that, he's like, Seab. I'm like, well, that's it. That's enough. Enough for the breakdown of the goddamn name. We're going to keep it to Seab. If we go any farther, it's just going to be and that'll be that. There'll be no more me. Fuck that. We'll just leave it at sea. Then I grew dreadlocks, and my heart became a Rasta, and that's how I feel today. I'm a Rasta period. And <clears throat> I had to cut them eventually, but I said, you know what? Seed means a last name, and I'm calling him Dread. Seed Dread was born. I honed my craft on Barry Bow Street in LaSalle with uh, Millen Fletcher, uh, David Barnes, um who else was there man there were so many cats back then man we used to freestyle every friggin day day in and day out and millen's the one who brought me to uh brought me to the jungle to meet the shades of culture and i mean that's d shades tactician orion who's revolution and dj choice 
You know what I mean? And Christ almighty, even Chuck Ice would show up there and kill it on the mic. You know, these guys were all, they're all legends in their own rights, you know, for Montreal hip-hop. It's incredible. And, you know, my label mate and my cousin, Mike Gerald, he goes by Too Bad. He was pretty popular, opening for Public Enemy and Heavy D. It was, you know, this guy's going off, man. So, I just, and that's, that's, I guess it was following family, you know what I mean? You're like, like so blood relatives grateful. with him, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that guy, um, he's an excellent producer, and he's got pipes. I like his voice, too. He's also a really cool dude, so just shout out uh, Too Bad. I really enjoy what I've ever heard from that guy. It's always been pretty fire to me. Um, so I guess that means that as you're breakdancing and transitioning into freestyling, you have that influence of Too Bad doing his thing at the same time. So there's, you know, that was that, like, simultaneous or, like, no, he was come? doing it before me. He was doing it before me. He was world tour before me. He played Canada, Canada's Wonderland. You know, it was on much music. as Captain Jack. This guy was the original Captain Jack. You know that nice. track? Hey, yo, Captain Jack. For real? Yeah. Oh, That's fuck. Him? He's the original, man. If you ask no him way. to send you the track, you could go on it on it. On his page or something, you'd find it, man. But holy Christ almighty, that's the yeah. original Captain Jack. That's amazing. Trust that's me. like a, and, a nugget of Canadian history right here. And this guy, he he's also the creator of BME. You know mm. what I mean? He created the label that I live with, that I live on, that I love, that I'll die for. That's, that's amazing. BME is pretty cool. Um, I'll certainly get to them. Um, but... So throughout your, like, what happens after high school? Let's go to there. Because high school is pretty clear. You're going to be going to school. You're doing your thing. Probably some tomfoolery. But then high school mm-hmm. ends and, like, real life begins, right? So what uh, is the beginning of real life or, or you know, for Seab Dread post-high school? What, what What's life like then? Post-high school, uh, it, it was a, a crime time, baby. It was crime time. It was time for me to see what I could get into, see what I could discover, see what hustle I could pick up. Because I got kicked out of school. I was in, there was no going back to school at the moment. It was, now I've got to feed myself. And what was I going to do? I was I was going to hustle, make some money. And that's what I did. Been in jail a few times. As, not, not even as a kid, not even as a teenager. My 18th birthday, literally. I got arrested with the big man jail. And that started a whole trajectory of, you know, jail is not a place where you go to get better. The penitentiary is. You go to the pen, you'll either learn to be a real crazy bad man and end up in a life forever and going back, or you learn your lesson. A lot of so, people learn their lesson. Let's uh, me, <laughs> let's assume that um, I don't know the difference between uh, jail and pen. So, what is the so, difference between these two? Uh, one day. One day. <laughs> if you go to prison, okay, uh, you go you go to the pen. You're getting two years in a day, uh, you know, or two years, two years actually. You uh, you, you know you, you're not. That means you got two years less a day, and it, it, it's all about. So it's basically like the long-term versus the short-term stays, right? Yeah, and I guess that short-term and severity of crime, right? 
the severity of crime, what level was it? Was it violent? You know what I mean? Because sometimes you can rock an armed robbery and, you know, there was no mask and no gun and nothing. You get eight, nine months or something like that. Or otherwise, other people get two years. You know? Right. But, but the time you get is different in every province. Down here in New Brunswick, you put a mask on and walk in, what? You can get five years minimum. Minimum. You're not leaving for five years. Minimum. Well, that's craziness. But yeah, so I, I learned my lesson, man. I, you know what I mean? And uh, learned how to write rhymes in prison, in jail. You know, okay. I had a lot of time to myself. I learned how to formulate a bar and learn how to make it make sense. And, and then and I just decided that that's what I was going to pursue. You know. So, <clears throat> were you reading a lot throughout your life? Like, are you a reader of any kind? Uh. Not necessarily. I mean, you're you're reading every, everything you look at pretty much, you know what I mean? But uh, as far as going out looking for books and stuff like that, no, 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 no. I truly believe that uh, one is already born with already all the knowledge you necessarily need for anything. And if you just give it a moment of thought, you'll be able to discover a rare solution that works exactly for you. Can you let's talk about that for a second? That's super fascinating. So if I, it's almost like a sense of like I don't know some spiritual side of you, where like you is it like a God thing or like a trust in God, or is that more of a we're like in a genetic memory kind of sense, born with like what we're supposed to know? Okay, so like uh, you're hungry, but you don't know you're hungry, and randomly you just grab something to eat because you you don't you don't even know why, but you eat it. You don't feel hungry all day. You don't remember that you grab something to eat real quickly that moment there, small moment in time, a granola bar, an apple, a bite of a banana. You do, we do these things because we're human and our human nature is survival to survive, right? So it's whatever. I mean, I feel like even for medication and stuff, I've never been sick or nothing like that. I just live as how I feel I'm supposed to live. And for knowledge... You just got to relax and, and let your mind obtain and generate it and be on the receiving side. And that's a very spiritual experience of having a little grasp of how things are working and woven in society and in our own personal life. That is definitely interesting. Um, so what would be like stuff that would inspire you then in, in general, like, Outside of music, what are your like? In, what like? Where would you go to have your serene place to look in yourself and come to the solutions you need? Seriously, I'd go sit with a homeless fella. Interesting. Why? I'd just talk to him and see what's going on with his life. Because my problems are so much more minute compared to this guy who's got nothing. Or this woman, or child, or teenager that ain't got nothing, no hope or nothing. But what you know what? They're up every day, every day. They're trying to survive. And they put themselves out more in front of everybody who still don't see them to get by with with humility. Yeah, that's motivating. I feel that. I feel that so much. I actually have a song that looks at homeless people from a perspective of maybe they figured some shit out that I did not. That's how much I actually feel what you just said there. Um, hey, we kind of hate going to work sometimes. 
What do you What do you think they hate? I don't know. I I guess how people feel about them. That would be what I would. I, th I think they would dis dislike being judged. That, that would be my. I guess. I was homeless for many many years, seven in total, in Montreal and and down here. And I've seen the first time how uh, one human being can walk by another human being and pay no regard. Pay no regard. That's a serious deepness, man. You you have like you a, a real deep empathy. So well, yeah, man, because I came from there. I've seen that. I've I've lived that. I've slept in dumpsters, ate out of dumpsters, watched people go in front of McDonald's when I know I can only go behind. You know, I can beg for a dime or freestyle on the corner somewhere and hope for a coffee or a meal. And you know, hip hop did save my life because clearly I'm living a little better than that, but. We're all just one check away from being homeless. It ain't no joke. That's uh, a lot. I mean, a lot of people like to talk about struggle in their life, but that sounds like a level of struggle that most people would never truly experience. And you're still sitting here today being a consistently positive force. Like, that is the thing that I admire the most about you, see, because in life we can choose to be uh, humble and and look for those lessons and try to make the best of things or we can be petty and the fact that you make such an active effort to be humble is truly inspirational also that you're still at it because i mean i'm in my 30s right i'm not quite as far along in the game but it is far enough to start questioning does it make sense to keep doing this am i losing my mind pursuing these things but then you look at a guy like you who's just so entrenched into this is what i do and you're you just keep at it like I, I think i heard you say until the day you die you're basically just gonna keep making music and keep doing your thing and whatever happens happens and it's just who you are and i, I, think I put a post i put a post sorry to interrupt you i put a post on facebook earlier before the interview started it said uh i'm not inviting people to like my artist page anymore and it's Although not like you should I go like it yo it's not like I don't like fans, man. It's just, I'm too tired of, I'm just too tired, you know? I'm still gonna be dropping tracks, but I'm not chasing nobody anymore. You like my jams, cool. If you don't, cool. You know, like, in the long run, I never wrote a song in my life for anybody else but me. If anybody else likes it, if it hits you, I appreciate it. I'm glad God is, telling me I'm doing my job, but it's just for me to help me get out of a mental state. Or, and if you relate, I'm blessed. You know, that's it. You have a very, like, lyrical sense to how you express yourself. I like it. Um, on that note, are you going to do shows? Pretty so sucks at this show. Man, I'm going to hit the stage. Oh, my God. I got a show coming up December 4th. With my live hip hop did, band. Did you do a live recently? Did you just recently do a live on YouTube show, or was that like an old show that got uploaded? Because I'm pretty sure a couple. I, months I just back uploaded I that. Yeah. Okay. I, think I just uploaded that, but I think I was live on Facebook through for Canada Day. Yeah, for Canada Day. Yeah, Respect. That was dope. But yeah, I put that up on my on my YouTube page. It's uh, Eric Claiborne. Anywhere you go. 
it's gonna be linked down below don't you worry everybody's gonna be able to just click and click and be there um so tell me about this upcoming show how are you doing a show in covid i mean i don't know about you montreal's locked down right now nobody's really performing anything is it gonna be like a real life show or is it gonna be like an internet show oh no Oh, no, no, no. Uh, hopefully, we're going to be able to connect them to the internet. Of course, you know, we're going to try. But uh, the bar we're playing at is ingenious when it comes to keeping it live. It's called The Cap. Uh, the Capitol Complex is how I know it. But now it's called The Cap, which is just fine. It's still the same bar to me that I'll always love because they helped save my life, too. And we'll get into that here in a bit. But they're building a way like with plexiglass and stuff like that to let a group or a band play on stage while people are there watching behind the plexiglass because COVID, you know? You got to protect people. Right. That's very... Yeah. It's going to be dope. It's going to be safe. And it's awesome. So, yo, Montreal, you Just doing it, trying to keep it live, you know? Hashtag keep it live. No, but that's an amazing yeah. like tidbit. Like, anybody... so if anybody wants to uh, help out the cap, keep it live. You know, go find the cap on Facebook, on my Facebook, or uh, anywhere on Facebook. We call the cap in Fredericton, New Brunswick. Of course, they probably got a GoFundMe page or a fan page on Facebook. Uh, hit them up. Help us keep it live, and you know what? We'll, we'll return the favor. I'm going to go look for that and put it down below. Whatever links you're mentioning here, I'm going to go try and find and put below so that the people can do it. Because, yo, that sounds like a wonderful idea and something uh, everybody can learn from. Because that is a way to actually move forward and not have to wait a whole year to bring everything back to life again. Um, are you opposed to internet shows? Like, would you spit at Heck a camera? No, man. I would spit at a camera as live as I spit at a crowd. Fantastic. Um... Yeah, we'll book you. We'll get you. We're going to set up a Zoom call show in the future at some point. We'll get you to come rap for the people. I know you I know you've freestyled on all these interviews. If you if you at any time you feel like you got to bust a rhyme, you're always uh welcome to. Um but man, I'm still like kind of humbled about the whole part where you were homeless for was it like seven consecutive years or was it like on and off? Consecutive. And this is how old were you? I don't know. I got to New Brunswick when I was 2002, so that'd be 30. Yeah, I'm 48 now, so from 23, 24, 25, 2007, maybe a little, yeah, something like that. You know, a while. Fair enough. Um, I know it's probably not the most pleasant set of memories and whatnot, but... Uh, to me it just adds depth to your character right because it shows that you can have something happen and that's not like that's my age right like that's like if some shit happened in my life fell apart today it could nobody knows like you said you're always one paycheck away from bad shit going down and that's facts like yo if you actually look at the number of canadians who have had to deal with loans and shit yo it's facts what you're saying um but the fact that you bounce back is is really what's incredible. What ended up getting you out of that environment? Like how? Because okay, so well, like, I believe that I, that's definitely a, me, a positive part. I always knew, for me in my heart, that God wanted me to rap. So I always knew there was a mission. I was homeless. It was something I had to endure. You know, I had to go through. 
some obstacles in my life to get to where I am today. It's not much farther from the street, but I'm, I'm comfortable. You know what I mean? I'm, I feel more blessed than I was then because I was obedient to what God was putting me through. So when I got to New Brunswick, it was, it was October 29th. I got to New Brunswick September 29th. I went to Elm Hill, New Brunswick, where my family was. And uh, that's one of Canada's first black settlements, by the way, established in 1806, if nobody knows. Now you know. Uh, went there, hung out for about a month, but as you know, man, being couch surfing in the sticks, and God bless the family for holding me down. Of course, they'd hold me down at the drop of a dime if everything went sour, but I needed to see a city. I needed to see more people, other things. I needed to be able to start moving my life in, in, in a direction that I followed. So I, I came up to Fredericton, stayed at the shelter, slept in the banks, whatever. I was homeless. You know, and walking up and down the street, freestyling, this guy's like, hey, um, there's an open mic capital hip hop night at the complex here. Uh, maybe you want to come over and freestyle over there. You'd probably like it. And I was like, yeah, well, the thing is, uh, I got a bed at the shelter. If I leave it, I lose it. And they close at 11. You got to be in by 11. He said, well, I'll give you a place to sleep. Well, that settled it. That's where I was headed. So about 10 o'clock, I leave the shelter. And I'm like, I explain the situation. I'm like, I got to rap. I haven't rapped. I need a microphone. This is going to be awesome for me. It's going to help me spiritually. I really need to do it. And they're like, look, put your stuff away. Go rap. Come back when you can. It's going to be locked. You're going to have to play. I, like, I got a place to sleep. No worries. So off to the Capitol Complex, I go. And I get there. There's nobody in there except for the bartender, Ferg. And I'm like, hmm, is this the uh, is open mic hip-hop night at the Capitol? He's like, yeah, I believe so. He's like, I'm like, okay. And I just sat down and waited and waited and waited. And finally the DJ came in. Urban Scout, he came in, he set up, he started playing beats. And I'm waiting, there's a couple of people in there, and he's like, hey, okay, the mic's open, whoever wants to rap, come on up and rap. And as soon as he was done, I was up there, grabbed the mic, started rapping. And eventually, you know, a week later, when I started, I grabbed the mic, I was like, hey, uh, what's up, y'all? I want y'all to know that uh, tonight, uh, I'm from Montreal, and I, I just gave my bed up at the shelter to rap here, so let's get into it. The beats are played. I start killing it. It was fun. The next week, like, the DJ comes up to me. He's like, listen, man, uh, you can sleep on my couch after the show if you help me tear down. I'm like, hell yeah, let's get it. And it was perfect, man. And I did a bunch of shows with him, and then Hip Hop Night the Capitol kept going. It was great. I went to jail for a minute down here trying to be a nice guy got out they were still going so i jumped right back in the mix and dj stb and he was here and, and it, oh my god it's just craziness man hip-hop night at the capitol saved my life straight up more than once and kept it going that's really amazing um so let's jump back to your 20s right okay. so what's going on in your 20s uh because we have an idea of how your 30s are going at that point. But I feel like we went from high school and we kind of 
skipped your twenties a little bit. Um, I know you were kind of up to some stuff. Or was that when you were you were dealing with jail in your twenties? Yeah, my twenties, I was hanging out, uh, doing things that I don't know. I guess gathering uh, topical information to rap about. I guess, but I was just following the path God gave me to get to where I am from I don't regret anything and I never harmed any women or children in the process of me being a thug you know fair enough um but when did the the more hip-hop part kick in and you ending up uh rapping around d-shade in them so what uh, that's you said in your late 20s then right so how yeah, does that man. whole era what's going on at that point in your life at that point in life um I've got dreads, I'm hanging out, I'm chilling, I'm hanging out with Millen, we're living in the south with my mom. I had just come down from Kingston, Ontario after uh, trying to go to school up there and came down for a visit and then I went back to, it's funny, I came down to visit my mother for her birthday, God bless her soul, and there was a warrant out for my arrest in, in Montreal that I had forgotten about. So when I went to venture to go downtown to see some old friends, I got arrested. <laughs> it's like the cops recognized me and they're like, Claymore, get over here. And I ran right through I was uh, right through Alexis Neon Plaza out to where uh, St. Catherine and uh, Atwater meet and they caught me there, the bastards. And they it was a ticket, it was a fight anyway. <laughs> I'd go back to Kingston, Ontario when I got out. Finally I decided I'd come stay with my mom. I think this is like 98, 96, 97, 98. That's you know, like right? super early. You know what I mean? And I remember because uh, we used to go and hang out, me and my boys, Millen, uh, David Barnes. Uh, I, I can't remember the name of his name. I think his, I think his rap name is Serge. Yeah, Dave Barnes' name is Serge. And we hang out with uh, Optimus Prime. I'm Supreme, you hang out with him, old Mikey, we get, you know, it was a whole rap thing, man, it was great, we all just hip-hop school, the freestyle for wherever we go, played, we, I, I remember freestyling one time, 15 minutes in, uh, in Point St. Charles for a Canada Day, it's just breakdancers or breakdancing, people come up, do some other stuff, beats are still playing, I'm still rapping, it was great, but yeah, uh, really, in a, like, in a, 98, 95, 96, 7, 8, 9. Yeah, it was all dope. It was all dope. You know what I mean? I, I left for New Brunswick in 2002. Okay. Um, so when did you start putting out albums? Because you have like eight of them. And how, when did you make that music video where you have that Mrs. Doubtfire looking face? <laughs> Life's Questions. Uh, the album dropped in 2007 and so did the video. The album's okay. called It's About Time. There are no more copies of that. Um, I think it's been lost to data crashes. You know what I mean, unfortunately. But uh, uh, if I ever find the beats, I'll probably record them again, you know. That's amazing. But, uh, and this is uh, yeah. after you started the open micing, or? Yeah, after that, you know, after that, 2007. Now, by 2007, I'm settled now. You know what I mean? Okay. Uh, off the street. You know what I mean? I got a place to live and finally a, a new foundation to start building what God has given me to build. You know what I mean? He gave me the tools. I could freestyle, I could rap to anything. Because 
spent a lot of time alone, you know what I mean? Just honing my craft constantly. And now it's time to write. And I remember one time, after all this time, of course, I'm still freestyling. I haven't really wrote much of a track. I've done a couple of features, a few mixtapes, but nothing real serious. And I remember watching this uh, old-time post board where it was no pictures or nothing like that. It was just posting something I call Hall of Famous. And on Hall of Famous, they were talking, oh, Seed Freestyle's crazy. Yeah, this guy should should drop an album. He's like, yeah, it's about time Seed drops an album. So I decided I would call it. After seeing that, I'm like, you know what? They're right. It's time for me to drop an album. And they called it It's About Time. It was about time I dropped an album. Uh, my next album came out in 2012 called Still Down. You know, went through life. I never went through jail. I just went through life and holding what about more writing. Music. Before we get that, to that next album. Okay. You made that music video, which was super fucking entertaining. And, like, I believe you told me before this interview that it was your first music video. Yeah, and my very first one. I, why don't we talk about how that came to be, right? Like, because that's honestly pretty impressive. I mean, it's 2007. It's not like you can just pull out an iPhone and film a video type shit. So how did you end up getting to the point where you have this whole thing? Like, I mean, even your first album. Who made the beats? How did you end up making these contacts? How did you uh, put all of this together? Because this is the stuff where, like, a lot of other artists can learn from your story. All right. So the beats on my first album came from a bunch of different producers. Some producers may have produced a beat and don't know that I used it for my album. You know what I mean? It, you know, but the, I, I always kept it. I left the tags in there no matter what. And I always bigged up the producer in the track just in case they heard it. You know, back then, there was no real way to contact anybody. If you were on SoundClick or something like that, you downloaded, downloaded the beat or something like that. So, yeah, it was just a bunch of different beats from a bunch of different places, you know what I mean, that fit, fit the songs that I was spitting, like I was writing to. You know, it, it fit, so I just used them, you know what I mean? And eventually, get, getting beats became a lot easier as people would hear me rap and stuff like that. Um, so the first album was just random beats, wherever I could find them. I, I didn't know about it. I signed up with Soakhead, put the album out, and decided if any of these people ever got a hold of me because the track went buck, I would totally pay them, you know, you know 100%. I respect that. So we, we're saying then there's value in doing what you got to do to get that first project out to prove yourself because once you've proven yourself, people are going to start giving you a couple favors here and there that don't exist. But also the lesson is pay your dues if the people come. Be prepared for yeah. that. Don't be shocked. Yeah, don't be like negative be about shocked. it. You know, the track went buck. Thank them. Thank them. Be very humble. Be appreciative. You know what I mean? To pay them off one time. You know what I mean? With love, too. Big you know wisdom. what I mean? Because it's definitely got something you have to do. And that has happened to me because the first album, a lot of people heard it, it sold out, but, it, you know, it didn't get that much radio play or nothing like that. Hmm. Um, How did that, like, music video get done? Also, how did you record it? Was it, like, proper studio? Like, you got a hookup or a plug? Or was it, like, some basement, towels around the fucking room type shit? That album was recorded in a bathroom and 
in uh, like a bedroom, straight up, <laughs> just like that. That's where it, it was. And when some one of my friends heard it, he was like, "Man, I don't know which studio you were at, but that sounded great." And I'm like, "It was in a bathroom, but it's <laughs> we call it breaking record studio, you know." Like the same breaking records that held. No, 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 no. We could. Okay. Sorry, my bad, my bad. We're gonna break it into B and E Entertainment, B and E. Okay, like, fair enough. It for, you know, it was great. right, right. <laughs> Just My bad for the, uh, for the no for the, no for worries. The anyway, breaking records is dope. They have contests. Mm -hmm. They do interviews just like this. Uh, they're a little mm -hmm. more talking to lots of people. I was just about to frequency. say that. So yo, big ups to them. They're fucking fire. They gave out five hundred dollars, and they are like friends with Classified. So I don't know. They're fucking like pretty like. I go, damn, they are totally ahead of me in the game I am in. Big respect. I aspire to be more like them in the future. But big facts, those guys interviewed Seep here back in the day. I caught that interview. It's up on this Maritime Hip Hop podcast. You can find season two episode, whatever. And it's like you learn that Seep here has opened for Tech 9 that, That's something that we learned. And uh, there was no debit machine or something. But he still sold all of his albums, and he was super excited about that. But did you, like, get to hang out with Tech 9 Is that how it works when you open for somebody famous like that? So, no, I didn't get to hang out with Tech 9 Not at Fair all. Fair enough. Well, I got paid $600. So you had to, you paid $600 to get on the show? And I'm not like... Oh, no, oh, what? No, oh, 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 no, no. Oh, you no, got paid no. $600. I got paid $600. Okay, yeah. sorry to misunderstand that because the current situation in Montreal is, and this is no disrespect to you. You won't ever explain, catch me paying to play. I won't. Do fair that. enough. There's you want to give me? Of, uh, you want to give me twenty tickets and tell me to keep that money? That's my pay. I'm gonna sell all those tickets. You want to give me tickets and tell me I gotta give you three quarters of the money back? You keep your damn show, man. I'll fucking grab my goddamn. Bluetooth speaker, plug a microphone into it, hit the goddamn corner. Fair enough. Um, that's a flex, though. To say that I made $600 playing at a, the show of Tech 9 that's a flex. I respect that a lot. Um, and honestly, it's just because... Uh, and I wasn't trying to imply you pay to perform. Uh, I, I personally don't like that method at all. It's something I'm against. But I also understand the promoter's point of view. It's, it's, a, whole, it's a whole side topic. But, um, yeah, normally in Montreal, a lot of these dudes will pay to open. So it's kind of what I'm used to. So that just makes you sound like 87 times as cool to me. The fact that not only did you open for tech, but you made bank opening for tech. Like, that's a fucking cool flex, honestly. But um, Listen, the company that I was working with, they're the ones who said, look, we're going to give you this many tickets. This is how much it is. That's your money. Just want to help you out. You know what I mean? And how could you say no to something like that? You know? But even being considered Treat, like you. But for me, I felt it like they were treating me properly. Right. But you that know? is treating you properly. Because trust, a lot of people might have been told two Gs come open. And there are right. people who will pay that. I don't, I, I'm not that rich, so I would not. But I respect that. The fact that even you. Even if I was. Look. Kick rocks. 
gonna be real. I think if somebody gave me 20 tickets and I tried to hustle that shit, I'd sell five if I'm lucky. So big fucking respect that you could do that, dude. I, I as a guy who's also on the grind and shit, recognize when a dude has the ability. Listen, here's something about Seep Dread that maybe Seep Dread doesn't know. I didn't know who he was three months ago, four months ago, right? We kind of like, I met over the Willie scandals and kicking it live and then across the way, his name just kept coming up. You just kept hearing Seep Dread. Everybody loves Seep Dread. This is a, you want to know how much everybody loves it? So my dude is this guy named Spades. This is a, a, a little bit later on, but the other day me and Spades is talking. And I'm talking about Seep Dread. And he's like, yeah, I did a whole music video with Seep Dread. Everybody fucking knows Seep Dread. Everybody fucking loves Seep Dread. Like all it is is praise and adoration. I could tell you one thing, the rappers, recognize the talent of Seep Dread across the board. I haven't met a rapper that knows Seep Dread's music that hears it and doesn't go do it to top tier fucking MC. And and everybody just gives you the much love. Like you're fun to be around. You're you're just an experience. I hear you're an experience. I hear like, <laughs> I hear I'm supposed to ask you about the shenanigans that happened at the filming of All Around the World. So apparently at oh some point the police fuck. even show up or something. Oh I'm supposed to ask you fuck. about that. These fuck these guys. Okay, listen, Spades, why you gotta put me out there like that? This is really like <laughs> you're an asshole, really though. <laughs> but I figured I'd get caught by this someday, and here we are. So <clears throat> we fucking film this video everywhere, eh? And we decide, you know what? Let's go film it down by LaSalle Metro, over by the bridge that you know you go to the, you make it to the point, you know, the overpass. And there's some fucking spray paint, fresh, fresh. Seems fresh because it's fucking glossy, right? If we got the light set up and it's set up on that thing right there, it's looking right at the, it's like the lights is pointing right toward the fucking pit, the, the, the right, spray right. paint, whatever Merle was up there. So we're trying to film this video. And here come the motherfucking cops. Somebody must have called them, told them we were spray painting the walls. Cops come, take my fucking weed, run my name. Well, not exactly my name. I didn't give them exactly my name, so we were safe, right? Fuck, damn near got arrested filming that video. I almost went to jail for hip-hop, man. <laughs> it wasn't even like you were doing anything. You just That, that was part of the story. He, like, told me straight up, you guys were not doing anything bad. There were no real shenanigans all, happening. Yeah, no it was just a, it was just it was like a misadventure. Actually, was that's big facts. That's what and it was. That's true, man. I, it that's was unfortunate. People were, you know, I only, I only, I only look at it, at it like that now. But back then, I was like, "Holy fuck, we almost got busted." You know what I mean? Hey, mm. no. One of our dudes did get arrested, as a matter of fact. Okay. Yeah, man, that was crazy. The cameraman, the dude who was holding the camera for us, he got arrested. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Fair enough. Shout out um, to Hellbound Bishop. Respect. Um, I know that dude as well. He uh, was in the background at the... He wasn't on camera, but he was there when I filmed my very first music video with Mr. Sky Beats. Uh, with the spades in this little yeah guy. yeah, uh, um, we recorded that track in in uh, in Sky Beat Studio there, right in Verdun there. Right? So at, at this time in life, 
<laughs> so what's crazy is that this time in life, I'm actively hanging out with spades, right? Like we live up the street and shit, not like whatever, close enough. Up <laughs> the street. He's like my dude. Like we were like all here on this, here on that back in those days. So that's like to me really like cool that like in a, in a sense, for all I know, like an hour after you left his place or whatever, you know, I was there. You know, like that's a reality yeah. that could have happened. And the universe just kind of feels cool when it's connected in that kind of way. But thanks for sharing that, man, because it does show kind of like the wild shit that can go on. And you are actually correct. The, the kind of harassment, like it's unnecessary to go at people and make the kind of assumptions. It's not even just the cops, but the supposition from a public that because there's some people there with cameras and shit, that there's some tomfoolery happening when you guys are just Two black guys, a white guy and a, and a camera. Okay. And that. And add some lights. So we're spray painting now. Okay. I mean, no problem. Yeah. And they took so, my weed. That was the most upsetting part ever. Ever. Unfortunately, I wouldn't it wasn't cared. legal yet. I wouldn't even have cared if I got arrested for it. They took it and left me alone. Yeah. They took my is. weed and left me alone. Why didn't they take me with my Mary Jane, man? I wanted to follow my weed. I was. I know they smoked it. I'm pissed. They smoked. I believe that was uh, 2014. They probably did. I told him. I said, "Oh man, that's some New Brunswick weed, man. That's some Appy right there, man. That's some really good weed. Why are you gonna take that from me?" He's like, "It's not legal right now." Whatever. I got take the it. "It's not legal wow. right now" speech one time when I was peeing in public. Spades is like, leave it alone, man. Leave it alone. They're letting you go. (laughs) (laughs) Man, that's rough, dude. Uh, Thank you for sharing that, though, because it is worth hearing everybody's stories about the kind of stuff that happens. Um, But, yeah, we could go back to that music video. How did you end up getting that music video put together? Was that anything fancy or was that like, again, just kind of like the album, you know, you just put it together with what you had because it looked like some real effort went into making the editing at least look real cool enter videographer brandon middleholtz brandon middleholtz this guy's awesome individual real real cool i met him you know i met him when i when i got down here and through through freestyling and rapping and he became a good friend and became somebody i would go hang out with periodically one day he said, "Yo, let's. You want to shoot a video? Let's shoot a video." So we did, man. He rolled up. He's like, "Let's uh, let's shoot some scenes where you want to shoot them." So I got to pick all the scenes of where we were, and he and him and uh, my my late wife at the time was like, uh, "You should dress up as an old ass lady," and uh, <laughs> I said, "You know what? You're right, because." Mom always said, do it once and do it right. You know, might as well. <laughs> it, so we um, did. It is so jarring. It's, and you know what? You sell it, dude. It is honestly like watching Robin Williams in a sense, in the terms of the <laughs> smile you have, the charm. I liked it. There was even like a story element at the beginning of the video where somebody dies and it's like, I think, or it's implied, but like that was really yeah. creative. And I just wanted to say really cool effort. And that's like a great introduction. And this is, again, just for people. This isn't like a guy who's 19, right? We're talking about a dude who's already been through hell, gone through some of the worst shit that I think a lot of people would ever really consider going through. 
I, mean, I believe you're in your like late mid to late thirties at this point. Yeah, for sure. And then you become a rapper. Are you fucking kidding? That's not supposed to happen, Sieb. Do you know? That's not supposed. That's not the story. But as you said earlier, you're different, and you made that your story. Uh, yo, that's a movie, dude. You're like a fucking movie. You're the exact kind of shit somebody should write a book about. I swear, I read books about people that are basically you, and that is so inspiring to talk to as a person. Even if like whatever else, that's inspiring for me trying to like move on in life as i'm dealing with getting older instead so just to see you start so late like you don't even understand how deep in terms of my personal anxieties that that gives me hope and so thank you for again for that dude that's amazing um well, god bless you buddy god bless you for sure um but let's say uh so you put out that first album you basically sell it all out in a way that's not trackable then the album is lost to time because of some something or another and uh moving on you get to the next album right yeah still done it's 2012. i had been writing it compiling these tracks from producers i you know gained friendships with over time and on this album now, some of the beats I produced myself, a bunch of them. You, I did yeah. not know you produced. I made those, those a bunch of those beats on that album, and I think I made a couple on the Claiborne Chronicles too. But we'll get to that. Uh, so it's 2012. I'm now ready. My current wife Jessica, she's with me. She's hanging in. She came in, and, you know, at a time when I was broken. Uh, literally, I uh, lost somebody who was close to me, and uh, I met Jessica. She was, you know, I started as a friend just to comfort me, and over time, I, I realized that it should be me and her together. So here we are, nine years later, still kicking it. You know what I mean? And it's a beautiful it's amazing. So I'm there, sitting in my living room, and I'm like, I really, you know, the album is done. I've compiled all the tracks that I need. And I had compiled way more tracks than you could have necessary for one album, right? But I had to take the ones that I had permission to use, aside from called mixtape, I could use them to be profit. And that was not, not hard to do at all. So I'm on the internet, and I'm like, and I'm literally on the internet stealing Wi-Fi from my neighbors upstairs. And literally post around trying to get this album out, and here here comes Mike Jiro. He said, "Hey, Cuz, man, I can help you, buddy. Remember, we used to rap back in the day together. You know, we could still let's kick it. You know, let's, uh, put your album on iTunes and Amazon. It'll go to all the stores. You know what I mean? Let's kick it." And I'm like, I thought about it for about four point two seconds. I said, "Yeah, let's kick it." And we've been kicking it ever since. And we upload that album. It played on uh, Hot 97, like literally days after it went to iTunes. Yeah, a song called Bigger Than Life played everywhere on all kinds of podcasts. And it was great. It was great. And, and the $40 soap can check was even better. <laughs> Dude, that's like really incredible. <clears throat> and so... I guess that album must have really motivated you. I mean, to get a check oh. for music like that, that must have been after, like... After that, you know what I mean? And I hadn't even... I haven't even played many shows. Hey, sweetheart, I'm still on the interview, love, but could you bring me my coffee? 
all right, man. Also, we are we are live, but at any time, if you want to take a five minute break or something, and you know, just there will be there will be none of that. Okay, there's none of that. You're here looking into my life. What I'm saying, ain't trying to hide nothing. You know what I mean? Like if you had to go pee or something. You know, I'm just saying, you have that well, option. I, you know, if I go pee, I'm definitely not going to bring you with me. I don't want to scare anybody. Don't you know, you worry. Just That's all right. PG as much as possible. Oh, I, anyway. <laughs> but back into the mix. So, released the album. We had lots of fun. And yes, it was great getting a check from SoCan. Like, like wow. Wow. Like, I'm getting appreciated for my music. Now I think I should get paid to play. Oh man, why not? Why not get paid to do something you love? Oh shit, how can do something you love making your job? Oh man, is it still a job? Or is it just something you love and you happen to take payment for it? I mean, that's a big question. That depends on you, I think. I mean, well, I? you have to put a value on what you love. I think um, if you treat it and like in a the job, game, if you don't in this game, if if you don't ask for payment, you'll never get payment. You do shows for free continually. That's all they'll ever expect to pay you, because they they'll think you don't value your own art. Mm. You know, remember, I write for me, so you damn right I value what I write for me. So then, if that means I wrote for you too. I want to get paid because I value my art. God gave me this gift to feed, not only feed and motivate, but also feed my belly too. It's not a crime to get paid to rhyme. <laughs> so basically that second album gave you the spark to take it like, well, I guess to Serious. treat yourself, to give yourself the respect to get what's yours. I think yeah. that's a good way to put it from what I understood. Um, so in 2012, you dropped the second album, you get the validation that this is now your path and you're going to pursue this. And then I guess you just keep putting out projects. What comes next? Next thing you know, 2014 shows up and I dropped two albums, uh, the Claymore Chronicles and I believe THC. Yeah. So I have not heard THC. I did hear about half of the Claiborne Chronic L's, and that title was super interesting because I thought it was a. If I'm not wrong, it's a pun. That I know, I know in the the five one four online mix thing, you say Claiborne's your name, and but I I didn't really listen to the whole thing clearly. But I was thinking just about the the dopeness of Chronic L's, right? The the fact that that's gonna have you chain smoking joints, but why? Because there's a constant stream of losses. But it's also chronicles, so you're documenting your story. And I'm like, did Mans give his fucking album title? And then it's all Claiborne, so that's your like fucking history. And I'm like, did Mans really give his album title a triple fucking entendre that slams out like the desired content in a mi- like that's that's top tier, dude. I respect the shit out of that title. It's really fucking one of it's, it's amazing. Well, when I was thinking about it, I was like, well, what's going to be the name of album three here? I'm like, shit, I got still down. I said, but I did. It's about time. I got still down. And that's, I want to, I would, and I want to move away from the time 
time thing, you know what I mean? Like that, I guess, uh, category of like the, the the way an album would file and names would follow. Like, if I had a trilogy, like it's about time. Okay, it's now time, and here we are, one more time. I, I didn't want to be like that. I said I gotta name this something else. I said, but I'm telling a few stories here, so I kind of want to be chronicles, but I, I want I want it to be a little more deeper than that. About you know, my family history, you know, it's kind of smoky and, you know, kind of the way we would roll our joint, kind of smoky and blunty and L-wise, the way you would wrap, make your papers into an L and roll it up or the story. So that's how I want. I just said, fuck it. It's going to be a chronic, Claiborne chronic L's. I love it because, like I said, you managed to pull off like a beautiful triple entendre there. And I think it really documents the um, intent of the album in a really exceptional way. Like, if you really take the time to think about it and you're into bars, um, it's definitely a way to communicate that you know how to rap. And so I commend that. And then THC is a good follow-up because, I mean, it plays into your name and also the weed theme. Um, do you drink or are you just a weed guy? From time to time, from time to time, from time to time. Do you do I'm anything not... else? No, man, just smoke weed and have the occasional beer here and there when I get to the club or, you know what I mean, socialize. Fair enough. I'm just curious about that because um, I definitely... Uh, acid, though. Latest project, uh, though. One second, though. Uh, acid at, uh, at a festival, though, is sometimes very, very cool, you know? Uh, you know, it's fun. It's not, uh, not crazy. Yeah. You know, you got to uh-huh. be with the right people, but... Awesome. Sieb is back. Uh, but I'd rather, it's more about Sieb today. Maybe in the future we could look into that kind of thing. Sieb, we actually have my homeboy DJ Hyperactive up in the comments and he wants you to bust a freestyle for us. And since we have a person live in the comments who wants to see you rap right now, why don't we pause the story a bit and you give them a little taste of what he, what you do. All right. I'm glad I made it, man. I'm glad to be back. I had to take my dog out, and that's a fact. She had to pee. Lift the leg up and think she buck. Don't really matter, son of your rap. Don't give a fuck. Normally, I don't curse when I rehearse, but I do what I do. I spit another killer verse. Mr. Oxy, man, you call me the dread. Been up north like rhyming most MC's dead. I do my thing. I put it down homeless, dude. Don't give a fuck. Toothless, but doing the groove. I'm in the mix. I got a dog locked the shit. I freestyle better than most of these kids. I'm in the That's game. Facts. Keep it insane. You know but hey, Mr. Eric Clay, boy, we can do it again. Hey, that was <laughs> dope. You got a ha-ha, nice from DJ Hyperactive, which which is good because everybody is going to see that pop up in the video too, so that I'm not lying. No, for real, dude, that was that was real dope, man. I appreciate you blessing us with that. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm glad to know that your dog had to uh, urinate and that you were able to communicate that in such an eloquent manner because, for real, I was entertained there. I got into that for a second. It's a vibe. I could listen well, to you know, again. Real, real life, you know. I just wanted to keep it present day. You know? <laughs> but, um, yeah, so what do, uh, I think we were discussing <laughs> your 2014 era and THC and that part of your, your stuff. <clears throat> Yeah, so, so Claymore Chronicles dropping. That was a, a lot of fun promoting and shooting a video for it. It was really good. I had fun. 
What kind yeah. of stuff did you do to promote the album? I don't know. Same shit. Put it online. Uh, tour. Print a couple of copies. Sell them. Do shows. You know, where did you? Uh, where did videos. you tour? Touring. Oh. Well, for me, touring Yo, was. We got like, it. We uh, got a. We got a real life question here. Okay. Uh, DJ okay. Hyperactive is asking, how do you manage your artist life with your family? Well, I'm an artist first. There's a lot of sacrifice going on here. Uh, in order to follow your dreams, uh, sometimes you have to be with folks who either learn to understand what you're trying to do when it comes to changing the world, one person, one song at a time, and, or eventually uh, learning how to cope with it. And you're going to make sacrifices too. Sometimes you have to say no to a show because you've got to deal with your family life or some emergency pops up. So it's a, you know, it's a giant juggle, but eventually you learn how to balance it. Yo, that's an amazing answer. And that's a great question, DJ Hyperactive. I really appreciate that. It makes my life easier if he's asking you questions. That's a joke. <laughs> um, anyway, well, I'm not um, always, I'm not the funniest guy, I'll be honest. That's okay. I'm good at awkward and rolling on with my shit. Um, do you put another question? Love it. Do you put yourself with deadlines when you're producing this shit? Cause yo, if you're touring and all this other crap, how does that work? How does your time management fit into your life? So no, man, fuck deadlines, man. Fuck deadlines. Okay. Art happens when it happens. You know what I mean? I'm working on my eighth album now, you know, but, uh, when it's going to drop, who the fuck knows? You know mm. what I mean? But it's in the works. You know what I mean? A lot of life happens in between things. And most of the time you're doing shows anyway. You know what I mean? So you're still playing tracks that you've been playing for a while. And I got a fairly vast catalog that I could recycle and go through, play tracks that never really hit the stage with yet and stuff like that. So it's a little easier for me. But, you know, most of the time I'll just go with the flow. You know what I mean? That oh shit track, Mike sent me the beat one day. I wrote to it the next, sent the verses. The next day it was up. Who does your, uh, mixing and mastering and all that? Sometimes me, sometimes BME. Most of the time BME. Everything BME. Oh, another question, which is a really good one. Where is the dread? The Dread lives in New Brunswick right now. I'm in Frederick. No, I mean, literally, the Dreads. The oh, hair. well, you know, over time, something you get caught up with. You get too many pictures and change your lifestyle. And as a roster man at that point in life, I felt when the Dread started falling out, my heart mustn't have been right in the sight of the Most High, so I cut my hair. Fair enough. I really love how you said that. Yo, this guy is poetic as fuck, man, all the time. And it's humble. It's always humble. And it's always like, it's almost like God has been a driving force in your life. Would you define yourself as more religious or spiritual? Uh, let's just say uh, an extremely aware human being. Okay. Let's, can you elaborate on that a bit? Uh, okay. So I don't see... Uh, God as in a, a human being state of form, I believe God is love and okay. love is energy. So 
if you have okay so you guys know when you feel love right like you just feel it you know with it's love you know and i can describe this love to you so if you have a dog right and you've been away from your dog for two weeks and you come home you know that dog missed you too and he show up in that very moment when you're greeting and it's all friggin' lovely and he's kissing you, jumping all over the place and you're engulfed in that very moment. That's that unconditional love right there. And you strive in life to not just find that connection, but be able to deliver that connection to everybody around you. Yeah, like I said, it's all poetic. Like every freaking answer like this is pretty cool, man. Uh, would you ever write a book? Because you could probably write a book. I don't know. I think uh, if you write everything down after this interview, you'd have your book. That's possible. There's definitely a lot that could be put down. <laughs> but it would be better to have your voice uh, do it and be the one doing it. Would that be something you would uh, – let's say somebody worked with you. Somebody wrote your biography. Would you, would, you work, would you be open to like working with somebody and writing the official Sieb Dread biography? Oh yeah, oh yeah, and 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 I guess the last words at the end of the book would be to be continued. Fucking love it. Um, I don't know. Maybe there's something to that. I don't know that I'm a biographer, but who knows? Maybe if uh, it ever I can't, happens. I, I can't say I ever thought about it, but at the same time, I'm, I'm too humble to. I don't know. I'm too humble to think like that. I guess. All I know is that your story is such an interesting ride. Right. Like, again, for those who are joined us, because a couple of viewers have come on, Sieb is not a, a young dude when he starts it. His first album is like in his late 30s. So now, like, we're probably in his 40s as we're moving into the next albums. And that's like pretty crazy because the fact that he's still at it to this day, working on the next project, grinding at the day job, putting it through, constantly putting out this humble shit all the time, recognizing himself, being self-aware. This isn't just hyperbole. I've had the pleasure of following this man on Facebook and chit-chatting in the DMs for, for a few months now. So it's not like a, a random thing. When he's saying this, I can say that I can validate that this guy is this all the time. Like What you see is what you get. Everybody I know that knows Sieb, what you see is what you get. And I really respect that. Um, so what's the album then after THC? But those ones, okay, so I didn't really listen to the THC, but what is like the content like on those albums? And do you feel that your content as the albums goes on evolves? Are your albums meant to be all-encompassing? And I say that because I listened to your microbrewery project. And now, if I'm not mistaken, there's a story going on on that project as you go through the track. So that's why i'm asking like do you have like an intention of crafting these stories throughout your albums or at this point in your life is it just whatever these are the songs yeah at this point it's track compilation okay and if i think they deserve to be on the same album together all right that makes a lot of sense and what kind of content are you rapping about because i know you got buyers but your content can be all over it all depends on the day and what I'm writing and the beat and what the beat's telling me to write, you know, it's usually, it's it's weird to say, but I, I don't know. I don't really write my songs, you know. I'm just a vehicle they come to. Fair enough. It feels like you just flow it out. I'm um, just a vehicle they come to, yeah. 
So what you comes know. after the uh, THC project? After THC is emergency. No, 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 no. Okay, we'll roll it back. My bad. After THC, I believe, come the fifth. Yeah. And what is the, is is there any, like, evolution between these albums? Or is it basically y'all is just rolling through, you're doing the same kind of thing, you're just dropping the videos, you're putting out the tracks, you're just moving on to the next one, you're touring. Is it just kind of like a rinse, repeat thing? Or is like, you know, as time goes on, you find it stacking, it's building onto something. Well, now I kind of jumped off the uh, naming my albums, oh, like marijuana-centered sort of thing, you know? And I said, shit, man, this is my fifth album. What am I going to fucking name it? What am I going to name it? And other people were saying, name it this, name it that, name it this. And I said, you know what? It's my fifth album. Calling it the fifth. Fuck it. That's what it is, man. And that's album. what I did. It's the fifth. People were saying, like, plead the fifth because I used to be a crook. Oh, is that like, plead the fifth? I'm like, take it how you want it. But for me, it's my fifth album, uh, album number five. Is it a one. five or is it a V? No, uh, it's a five, TH, the fifth, fifth album. Okay, I like that. Uh, do you feel that, like, is you have your five projects, do you feel like there's like a main sound that you work around in an album? Or... I try to keep it mostly positive. I don't mean like your content. I mean like the the beats. Or is oh, it? A... Try to stay boom bap as possible. You know, I keep it ninety centered. Sometimes a trap beat will make me feel away, like pour some liquor out, or uh, lighters up. But uh, yeah, I usually just try to keep it motelly and groovy and head naughty and real yeah <laughs> yeah that's fair enough you, de you definitely feel that in your flow um i respect the fact that you're real tight with it what i mean by tight is you so deep in the pocket that like every bar just fucking lines up properly you chop your bar into the part where like you have your build up or you have the part where the, the rhymes kind of collide and you just dance with it like there's a finesse to how you do it you get like theatrics in your voice do you have a theater background at all i believe i've i've i heard that you've done some tv stuff and some acting and some other shit is this happening at the same time as all this uh music stuff or is this more recent yeah yeah this was happening at the same time like writing tracks recording tracks going to a rehearsal for a uh, a Christmas at the, at the Playhouse here in Fredericton Play because uh, I was writing raps for these parts in the play, like for Christmas raps, literally writing Christmas raps. Okay, can for, you spit some Christmas bars like right now? It's almost Christmas oh, yeah. time. 100, 100. All right. Three shepherds and an angel. Check the sides and follow the brightest star light in the skies to where you find a manger and quite a surprise. The Blessed Mary give a birth to the Lord Jesus Christ. The time is the right time to feel glee. I remember mama getting me a Christmas tree. It's the only thing I ever really wanted to see to get the love my mother had as she gave it to me. I placed the stockings on the fireplace and raised the milk of cookies. Gotta go to bed and sat the couch and play a nook and close my eyes real tight. Hope a border comes soon and boom, it's Christmas. It's Santa's gone too. It's Joey celebrating and I hope that you. You can hear because you gotta get down with this old tight spirit. <laughs> like straight up, a few years back, 
I went on this quest to try to find good Christmas rap songs. Like just what you just did. I couldn't find it, man. I couldn't find those tracks anywhere. That was the right. best Christmas raps I've ever heard in my life. Like to a point where I would bump that at Christmas legit. And I don't even like right. Christmas music. Tell you what, I tell you what. So uh, if you want to hear the rest of that song, find yeah. it on my sound. Find it on my SoundCloud. It's called Christmas in the Hood. I will definitely check that out on your SoundCloud, dude. I am excited for that. I'm gonna play that at Christmas because honestly, it is tough to find a Christmas hip hop track that that is my girlfriend will approve at Christmas time. That is in the spirit of Christmas in her mind. That's fire, dude. So, I really appreciated you blessing me with that. I'll even spit the hook for you. It goes, put your hands up for the sleigh ride. Jingle bells in the daytime. Get your smile on. Joy and cheer. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. And you guys could hear it in the way he delivered that, right? You could almost, if you're like picturing it on, on like uh, the rhythm, everything is lined up nice there. Like he doesn't, there's no metronome playing. He just did it. Like just fucking spit it and it was all tight it was perfect it was like ready to go do you find uh do you memorize all your songs like do you know all your tracks by heart i sure try to buddy if i write it i should be able to remember it right mm. especially since like I, I i write it and then i record it so that i'm like i'm literally spitting off the paper but i have to do that like a hundred times to get it right you know what I, I mean? So repetition and repetition and repetition. And eventually you'll find yourself not looking at the paper anymore. And then it's just, you know, this fucking track back to back, front to back, whatever. You know what? You know? I have to say as a person. Muscle dude, memory works too. What do you mean? Muscle memory. So it is, uh, it's like you got a bunch of tracks, but there's one track that you used to play, but you don't play no more. Mm. And you so you think you may have forgot the fucking song until mm. the beat comes on. And once right. the beat comes on, <laughs> then the song shows up. Muscle memory. I totally appreciate and relate to what you're saying, and I've gone through that myself. But I really like what you said there because something I've struggled with um, is all these people who go on about one taking and you, know, I busted the whole track out one off, and like they're like I'm like how like for me. I'll spend like four hours sometimes on one verse, just over and over and over, and I just trying out all the ways I can spit it and trying it until it sounds right. And I could hear, write a song in 15 minutes. It's going to take me three or four hours to record it. But even hearing you say that, just hearing you say that makes me feel like better as a as an MC because like, End of the day, everyone brags about how fast they can walk into the studio and bang out five tracks. And I'm just like, I can't do that, man. I have to do what you're doing and practice and practice case, and practice. When I when I when I recorded it's about time, I had to I had to spit every track from memory because I'd lost all of, all the raps, but I remembered them. I remember every song. So I just went into the studio and was like, yo, let's get it back to back, back to back, back to back. These guys were like, how the fuck does he remember everything without any paper? Just because mm -hmm. I wrote it and I'd been rapping it without the beats forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And these were like emergency songs that had to come out now. And now's the time we're recording it. So the muscle's great. We're gone. We're gone. Work. Fuck it. That Do, you happen for Do you like practice every day? No, but I listen to, I only listen to my music. 
That is interesting. So you don't listen to anybody but Steve Dread. Well, sometimes I listen to BME and I listen to whatever you're going to drop and whatever. Yeah, you know, I respect that. To homeboys and friends and listen to their music and stuff like that. But on the real, it mostly I got me and my speakers. And well, I'm not trying it. to be influenced by any of the negative energies. So for you, it's a matter of just consuming the right kind of positive stuff. And so you don't really like the pop culture or any of that bigger, well-known stuff. What about no. like the classic shit, the old stuff? That's where it's at, man. I remember when hip hop wasn't about fucking murder and gangsterism selling bitches and hoes i remember all of that stuff happened but it wasn't glorified that's for right. sure i remember the change man what what one week we were rapping about love and uh bringing africa and, and pride for being a black person and next thing you know it's kill a nigga this and kill a nigga that uh, i don't think we can say that word on twitch we oh, got it not it's all good. Hopefully they don't get mad at me. We're all learning together. I should have said that beforehand, but we'll keep going. Um, but yeah, no, that's an interesting point. Because, yo, for those who have joined us, because the viewer count went up again, which is dope. Uh, Sieb's been around for a real long time. And a little recap for those, because it's a good hour and a half into this interview now. Um, Sieb was, like, literally bumping shit in the 80s as he was, like, a kid fucking breakdancing and vibing to the original hip-hop of like we're talking the literal he did rapper's delight in full as a kid level original hip-hop so he's saying he's watched a transition i mean we're talking to a guy right now who has literally seen all eras of hip-hop come to life throughout his life so it's it's fascinating to hear you comment on that transition because all i've ever heard in his music is this consistent positive love you know like i mean there's the occasional if you get in my way you know you'll have a consequence but for the most part it's it's all love it's never like an aggressive thing unless you get in seeb's way you know like that's a but that's that's again still in almost self-defense of a situation it's never an aggressive it's never i'm coming at you it's just yo let's have a good time it's it's, it's a share love and i love that I about a, your music i have a direction that i'm going you know what i mean and if there's an obstacle in my way, hope it's not you. <laughs> that's that's a, well, a good way to put it. Um, so do you still, okay, because I know, like you said, you listen to basically yourself. Uh, oh, who is your first, this is again, DJ Hyperactive is killing it in the comments. Thank you, buddy. Uh, Bless you, who boy. is your first inspiration for rapping? Karis one. That's that's fantastic. So like were you like from the first Boogie Down Productions album oh, were you know Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Are you a philosopher? Yes. Yes. Yeah. The teacher. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. I think uh K R S one is a fascinating character personally. I read the Gospel of Hip Hop, his eight hundred and like thirty something page book from cover to cover. It's actually why we're here. Uh, as KRS-One's book told me that if I ever want to make a living on hip-hop, I have to give to the community. And while I'm not a rich man, I can do this. And this is giving. So uh, 
this actually derives from KRS-One in a way. So it's really cool to see that your energy comes from that source because, yo, KRS-One seems like he's that kind of dude. And I feel like you you definitely tap into that spirit. Are there other people from that era that you still consider, like, dope that, like, let's say you want to go back in time. Who should we be checking out from that era? From that era? I think you should be checking out uh, MC Shad. I think you should be checking out um, Cool Keith and Herc. I think you should be checking out uh, DJ Chuck Chillo and uh, Cool G. Uh, I think you should be checking out, uh, uh, I think it was Chill Rob G. I think that was his name, but yeah, uh, Kid and Play. Uh, you should definitely check out Public Enemy. You can check out fucking, oh my God, uh, JJ Fan. You could have checked out Salt and Pepper, Queen Latifah. Oh, the list goes on, man. I, could, I knew I couldn't stop. So at this point, and, and you know, it's I, I've reviewed a few of these albums. Big Daddy uh, King. Mm, all of these people are empowering. Goodness. Very empowering people. That's like a consistent theme in all of that music that you listed is empowerment. Uh, could you clarify the Rob G one? Who, who is that one? Uh, I think his name was Chill Rob G. I, I think Chill. you could YouTube I can't YouTube him. I can't remember for sure, but I'm pretty sure that was his name. So Chill Rob G. I know that was a double standard. I can't remember for sure, but I'm pretty sure it was Chill it Rob was, G. It's totally okay <laughs> if after all this time the memory slips a little bit. That's fine. Um, but yeah. Like I was saying, that's a lot of empowering people. Like Queen Latifah's albums from that era are like super strong and salt and pepper is like hella feminism. And like all of that stuff is really like dope. So question, you said public enemy and you said you don't listen to new music. Would you listen to the public enemy album that came out about uh, uh, about a month ago? Would that be like yeah. an exception? So I even listened to the new Busta Rhymes album too. You know what I did mean? Did you like it? I did like it. You know, I didn't think it was over the top Buster Rhymes that we know now, but like from back in the day, it's fucking right now the world has changed Buster Rhymes, you know what I mean? Uh, but yeah, I definitely be listening to Public Enemy to see if they're still talking about Fight the Power. You know what they I were, mean? They did. They did a really, yo, they did a track with Beastie Boys on that project, which to me, I don't know if you like the Beastie Boys. To me, the Beastie Boys are wonderful. Um, Listen. I played in a band called the Twenty Year Strong Ensemble, and we did a tribute to uh, to the album that had, uh, oh my God, which fucking album was it? I think it was uh, the second one with uh, oh. Brass yeah, Monkey on it. The one with Paul's Brass Boutique. Monkey, yeah. Paul's Boutique, yeah. That we is a that. sonically brilliant project. We did that with a That's whole amazing. live band, like a fucking orchestra live. The whole tribute. It was great. When did you do that? Uh, I think it was 2016, I believe. Mm. Maybe 17. I can't remember for sure. So it's like as your story goes on, oh, stuff Ill, gets Ill Communication. Ill, the album was Ill Communication. Okay. That was the album. Yeah. That was the tribute we did. It was a 20 year tribute, too, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's I think totally. That album came out in 96. Fair enough. So you're still willing to listen to new music, but for you, it really is just about the energy. So I agree with you about Buster Rhymes, but what I liked about Buster Rhymes is he felt like a dad, and I like yeah. that. 
I yeah. want my 40-something-year-old rappers to kind of sound like dads a little bit because it's comforting in a weird way to listen to Buster Rhymes being like that. But that's really cool. That makes me actually like have like real respect to that. So it's not like you're against new rappers. It's that you're against certain vibes that you don't want to consume because it fucks up your auras and shit. That's how yeah. I understood the situation. That's yeah. fucking blessed. I can totally, I can totally empathize with that in a, in a big it's way because... Such thing as a transference of energy. Mm. I feel that. I feel that for real. Um, it's it's sometimes hard to, to like for myself to not give into that. Like I like gossip sometimes. I try not to gossip anymore because it's negative, um, and I try to like detach myself from negative situations. Or, uh, you know, when you're at work and you want to start getting all caught up in the drama, or you can detach from that kind of let yourself not get caught up into the maelstrom of negative energy and then you feel better and you feel more motivated and you feel more creative and you know i, I get that i like i like how you put that um i'm not competing with anybody if i'm just listening to my own tracks and also because i'm only as good as my last track you know mm. I'm, that's I'm a fresh way to look at it i uh i can definitely empathize with that i feel like you're always aiming to get better it's like playing in Mario Kart and you're going against the ghost of yourself so that you can improve your time. Oh, my, me and my old lady, we're playing Mario Kart now and she can kick my ass. She could probably kick all of y'all's ass. Which Mario and, Kart are you playing? Uh, we're playing on the Wii. So I okay. don't know which it is, but uh, we got uh, levels like Moo Moo Meadows or something like that. And Mario Circuit and, and shit. She's killer. We're doing the time trials now because we beat the levels so we need to beat to get other stuff, but we're missing shit. Yeah, I had no life. idea that you actually played Mario Kart. That was fucking cool. I'm really happy that that happened. I just wanted to let you know we are now at our highest point on this stream with six viewers, which is dope. So there's a whole bunch of people now watching with us. Hot diggity. So as yeah that is fun uh that's why i love this man uh because if anyone out there watching has questions or the things they're curious about you can just throw that into the chat dj hyperactive has been uh taking advantage it's uh blessed for me because it makes the stream go longer and everybody wins um <laughs> but uh okay so let's go back to the albums then since we'll continue on the journey of Seab dread so 2014 is when you do the th when did you do five uh, when did that happen? I think that happened in 2016. Still, yeah. Okay, so that's and it, so if your timeline doing... is so vast, like I dropped so many albums so close back to back together. I'm like, oh man, because sounds... Mike Mike wanted me to drop THC and the, uh, I think it was the Claymore Chronicles and THC back to back. I believe. I don't know, man. Fair it's enough. A, <laughs> but, but what I think is interesting is that as the story goes on, it's not just that you're putting out albums, it's that the opportunities, um, uh, I don't, so what opportunities seem to get bigger along the way as well. Sorry, we got a, a conversation from DJ Hyperactive uh, saying, what were you thinking behind Judgment Day? Um, it's just killing off an old negative way of thinking. Mm. And killing off the the negativity that was like tried to be forced into me through, like, because when I first wrote this song, it was a diss to some other rap cats around here. 
And then I realized that, like, because in my soul, there's no time for hatred in hip hop. I should not be judging anybody. So I switched it up last minute. I switched the song up to indicate that there was no room for hatred in there. So I wanted to kill off the bad-minded thinking that had been in my head for a minute. Yeah, that's deep. Um, which album is that on? Because I'm not sure. I haven't heard uh, it myself. I think it's on... Oh, why am I like this? Emergency? Or it could be on the Claymore Chronicles. These things get fucking lost, man. <laughs> That's totally fair. But, yeah. like, um, I, I find it fascinating that it seems like your opportunities were also increasing. So it seems oh, like... Yeah. The more you put yourself out there, the harder you work, the easier it gets. So were you, like, doing bigger and bigger shows as this went on? Did you feel like you, you saw a tangible increase the more you put it out? Or was it more of a slow grind across this period where it was, like, the same size crowds, the same circuits over and over again? No, man. Ever since I met Dub Antenna, my reggae band, it's been going oh, off. When, when did you meet them? I forgot all about that. I met them around the same time I dropped still uh it's about time in two thousand seven and eight. Also, and, uh, uh DJ Hyperactive said it's the fourth cause I'm dope. Uh THC because I'm dope. That's right. right. Thank you. Cool. Thank you pretty much. Yo, I thank you, DJ. That. That's what's amazing about this Twitch thing for real. I'm loving <laughs> this. Um, on track. So Go, when did you meet the reggae yeah. band? I feel like that's yeah, like, like running in parallel. 2007, 2008. And like, so hip hop night at the Capitol was coming to an end. You know what I mean? It was, uh, we didn't have much promotion going on. And reggae night just started. And uh, I was scheduled to play with Dub Antenna. And I went and rehearsed with them, played the show. And then after a while, like, as hip hop night was ending, Wednesday was, was there. Reggae night was upstairs. I go host the open mic, and go upstairs and rock a freestyle with them for a bit. You bet, sing and ask to play in the band. And like at the very moment that uh, we played our last hip hop night, that night, would you please come upstairs every Wednesday from now on and play with us too? Yes, 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 yes. That's amazing. And so I just you know rocked the mic with them for fifteen years and kept just putting out albums and doing big shows with them and big shows on my own and you know started so, headlining stuff and now that's all i want to do is headline you know so simultaneous to everything that we've been talking about with relation to your solo career you have also been the front singer dude of a reggae band that's also popping off and doing big things yeah, well, not the four, one of the front singers, I guess, because there's a few, there's a few of us vocalists in the band, right? Right. So I'm one of them, and yeah, doing that, going on, doing shows, going to play gigs here and there, wherever we play reggae dates, and still writing songs, and recording tracks, putting out albums, going to rehearsal with the reggae band. And playing in a hip hop band too, and still doing everything, writing tracks with them. And that was so that's a hip hop band in addition to your solo career. Yeah, yeah. When did that start? Oh, so socially acceptable, acceptable. The hip hop group started in about two thousand eight, nine, and uh, 
after playing so many shows together, we decided through Dub Antenna, you know what I mean? You know, my homie, NFP, who's on BME too now. And uh, we, we just were like, hey guys, you want to make a hip hop band? And so it was supposed to be called 420 Sound, but uh, some people decided that uh, it wasn't socially acceptable. <laughs> so we decided to name it Socially Acceptable with an E. And that's, that's just amazing. going back to what we started with, right? Because we were already socially acceptable. As a band, we were going to be 420 Sound. They thought it was socially unacceptable. Mm. <laughs> okay. So it was socially acceptable. We did that a few years. That was cool. So we got another question uh, from DJ Hyperactive. What is your next goal? And, you know, we can skip ahead. We can come back to the story. And where do you see yourself, like, down the line, five, six years? No, hopefully still making tracks, man. You know, hopefully still alive. I don't, I don't fucking know where I'm going to see myself tomorrow. That shit ain't here yet, right? I got to live in the right now, one moment at a time. I'm not trying to make decisions for six years later. I don't possibly know if uh, I'm going to wake up in the morning with the same head on my shoulders, thinking the same thoughts. So I'm, I just think we should go one moment at a time. But if you want me to answer that for you, for you, maybe... Maybe in six years, I'll have seven more albums out, up to more videos, a couple of fucking cars, you know, or a fat house and some more money in the bank that I can shake a stick at. But honestly, I'm going to be right here doing what I got to do to motivate everybody I can find. Again, respect that. Um, Sieb, you are a very consistent dude with your answers. I can tell you that much in uh, this interview here. <clears throat> so... What is, um, if we go back to that band, how long does Socially Acceptable last for? Three, four also, years. DJ three, Hyperactive says those are awesome goals. Sorry to cut you off. But uh, you said three to four years? Yeah, three to four years. And uh, we, we played a bunch of shows and entered a couple of Bad Little Bands and won every one of them. Every Bad Little okay. Bands we entered, we won. And what well, was your style all, like? Sorry. It was like, uh, well, we made our own tracks. Like, we created our own music. We didn't rely on anything else. Making this music was uh, like getting together and sit at a keyboard while the piano keyboard is just standing there. And I just fucking make up a beat and find the beat, keep it going. And he sees it. He likes it. So he starts playing it. Mm. And the bass man will kick in with something. And the drummer's there. And he's like, oh, fuck, maybe this will work out to it. Bam. We're in a mix. The guitarist kicks in. Now we got a song. Holy shit. Now it's, you know, now the band, the band is busy. They're, they're piecing it out. You know what I mean? They're writing down the notes and stuff. And uh, me and my buddy are writing it. It's, uh, yeah, that's dope. That's so that's basically like your process. It's just super organic. It's just, oh, I'm in this moment. I feel this thing. I write this track. You don't overthink it. You just roll with what it is. And then you make it and record it for hours until it sounds good. That's right. That's <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. And along the way, I mean, it sounds like your work ethic has trained you to be like a really efficient machine with this. Like, 
I don't know. I think that's where like your story is different from a lot of people's because most people's stories start like I'm 17 and I get it. You're like, I, I mean, you freestyled a lot throughout your life, but your career only starts later on in life. Like, how old are you now? If I can ask that, is that, is that rude? I don't know if that's a rude question. I'm 48. <laughs> I'm 48 years old. I love how you looked around like that. That was one of the most funny moments on this for me, at least. Um, fresh man and that eighth album is under construction okay so the sixth album is called what emergency and how come it's called emergency i heard that i heard the answer to this but it's a good story because it's definitely an emergency that y'all know i'm still kicking it mm. and you just felt like you had to get those tracks out yeah, an emergency to get it out. Had to, had to release it. Plus, it was at a time where I was just like, I need to drop this album right fucking now. It's a goddamn emergency. It's an emergency. Was there like an actual emergency going on in your life, or were you just possessed in the moment that, like, this is the time it's got to happen? No, this is the time it's got to happen. I got the avenue. Let's get it. I forgot to ask, did you make albums with the the band Socially, Social, fuck, I forgot the name, I'm sorry, Social Acceptance, or? Acceptable. Socially E-X. Acceptable. So, uh, we, we had a little EP, you know, recorded from the studio, uh, but no, we never did, it never made no album, nothing like that. And how come it uh, stopped being a thing? Just happens, man things happen you know to be honest every time we go to rehearsal after a while see me i don't mind i don't mind rehearsing you know what i mean but i'd rather be playing the show you know what i mean and who needs to rehearse if you're playing shows all the time you know what i mean so i was more into we already know the fucking songs let's play let's play let's play let's play so i'd always be cutting rehearsal short and i'm probably the biggest reason why we stopped playing together because I would book the shows, you know, and I still love and talk to all my brothers from Socially Acceptable, you know what I mean? At that point in time, uh, with social media and everybody's limited knowledge of how to promote a band on, on Facebook, let alone anywhere else with limited funds, uh, it was just like I, I booked the show, come on, you got to invite everybody to the show and or whatever. You know, but that's how it goes, and we learn from that. You know what I mean? At the same time, you know, we're still playing in dub antenna with most of the members of Socially Acceptable, right? So it didn't matter. We were still going to be friends and love the brothers and play music and always love and respect each other. It's just how it goes. It's amazing. It's like every, every like, story or section of your life goes, and then it just worked out better, and life was fantastic. Like, honestly, like... <laughs> Like your story really is one of those things where as it goes on, it's like a happier and a happier. Yo, I learned a lesson. My life improved. And that's fucking incredible. Um, we do have, an, we have another up. we have another question from DJ Hyperactive. Uh, do you usually it's write your rap? I know it's amazing. Do you usually write your rap and then find it instrumental or the opposite? Do you compose by instrumental by yourself? It all depends. Uh, sometimes... You know, you know, I'll feel a way and I just have something I got to put on paper, you know, and I'll write it. 
and it'll be there and sometimes and, and after doing that the beat finds though finds the song right it finds the track and sometimes i'll have the beat and it'll tell me what to write you know what i mean you know listen to it back in my head go, oh shit, yeah oh yeah 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 that's what's up i'll write that though yeah for sure that's cool oh, snap wrap it up a little bit you know and make it feel right so it all depends it all depends. I respect that. And I like the way that you're not limited to an approach. I like the fact that when it, like, again, it's in line with your live in the moment kind of feel about it, but that it's just so inbred into you that the emotion drives each individual song to be the right thing for you. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Um, so, yeah, I think it's also really cool that you're just like, yeah, socially uh, socially acceptable didn't work out correctly. But at the same time, I'm still chilling with the dudes. And so life worked out proper. And I mean, your reggae band for what is it? Uh, it's over a decade. Like, that's an incredible yeah, accomplishment. Years. Like, I don't know many anything's that last 15 years in life. So the fact that you guys have lasted so long and consistently produced and growing is Again, a testament to longevity. So let's ask that question that I'm sure, I don't know if other people are wondering, but what's the secret to sticking with a group for 15 years, in your opinion? Because that's not something many people get to ask. So, first of all, you're, you're all you all have to be number one in the mix for love of the reggae music. Come on, who doesn't love reggae music? And... The top tier talented musicians in this city were in this band, so it was kind of like we already gelled together, you know. Get along, learn how to get along. It still becomes a family, you know. It's no longer a band; it's the a family, you know. Because that's exactly how it became. Playing with the same people for so long, you get to know them. You go to shows with them, play festivals with them, get drunk, hang out, smoke weed with everybody. Like it's all just a grand old jolly time. And we all had the same interest at heart, you know, the same goal. Let's just play some reggae music for the people. That's amazing. Is there like, is it like the same lineup the whole time? Or did, were there change-ups on the way? Uh, well, we had a few original tracks with covers. We switch out tunes. We'd learn new ones. And, but we usually had to, sometimes a musician would have to go and they would get another, another musician would try out to play with us, join the band. But nobody ever leaves Dub Antenna. Mm. Comes, it's a Dub Antenna collective. So you just get bigger. You know. Some days we have everybody, some days we don't. But That's a lot of I... people have played with Dub Antenna and, and went on to be extremely successful. Do you have any examples that you can share? Uh, Ross Nielsen and the Suffering Bastards. He's a blues man, but he's played coast to coast music, been on the radio, guys, crazy off. Headline Harvest Jazz or something like that is nuts. Quality. That's awesome. So you have you met like a lot of famous people along the way? Uh I know Mob Deep. Yo, uh, that's dope. I opened for Mob Deep. That's when real he came cool. down here. I hung out with two live crew. 
was it uh was it as wild as the shows are alleged to be uh not really i mean a couple of women jumped on the stage because they were drunk but whatever you know it wasn't too wild which was cool because you know we're all adults here that's not going crazy <laughs> that's amazing um uh played a show with Pumpkinhead and uh Ari the Rugged Man. That's cool. Played a show with uh Michael Franti. Uh, who else we played the show with? Oka, Classified, Jay Brew, Jordan Croucher, uh Ghetto Job, Quake. Uh played a show with uh D Shades, Chuck Ice. Uh I play the show with a lot of people, man. So, okay, so which is the best story of all of these people? Okay, so KRS one, he's uh, he's in, and uh, <laughs> it's funny. KRS one's playing the show at the Marquee in Halifax, and I go to see him play. After he's done, uh, his uh, his set and uh, the little the lecture he gives. Uh, he's like, hey, any local MCs want to come up on stage? So me, I'm from Fredericton. I look at my homie NFP. I'm like, hey, you going to come, man? We're rappers, right? I'm like, you coming? He's like, no, we're not from here. I'm like, fuck that. So I approach the stage, and I'm walking. I'm already dressed like I'm supposed to be on a mic. And uh, there's this group named Empire. Uh, they're standing there. I believe it's Empire. They're standing there talking to the bouncer and the bouncer's not letting them go to the stage but me i just keep walking no bother nobody bothers me at this stage and i see uh krs1 he's he's got a microphone right and uh i roll up beside him and trying to like get the microphone so i could freestyle but i wanted krs1's microphone so i got my somebody took a picture of me with my hand up in the air and my other hand shaking his head, trying to get the mic. And uh, he didn't give me that mic, but I did get a mic to spit while he was in my presence. And he loved it. It was great and lots of fun. That's that's dope. Like, to impress KRS-One must have been a highlight for you in, in terms of your journey, no? Gotta understand, bro. I'm a human being just like everybody else, man. I was honored to be able to rap in front of my teacher, but uh, it's all about keeping moving. And I, I, I just want the microphone, man. I just want the microphone. KRS-One wasn't using it, but I figured, hey, why not ask him for that one, you know? It wasn't about, <laughs> I was too scared. I was scared of, or anything like that. I wasn't even trying to say hello. I wanted the microphone. I said, Chris, can I get your mic? <laughs> he just shook my hand and you know what I mean <laughs> brushed me off like a teacher was supposed to do to a student trying to rush the game <laughs> that's awesome though um, do you have any other stories in that hmm I remember when uh, Bone Thugs and Harmony came we, uh, we just went to, I followed them I got their autograph they were pretty cool to chill out with you know, I followed them for Fredericton with the St. John and just hung out with one of their group 
group dudes, right? Like a DJ or something like that. I can't really remember, but we just rode dug. It, it was fun. It was a real good experience. That's dope. I, me- your- I remember being backstage watching Obi Trace almost fall off the stage because he was so hammered. And his, and, his, uh, and his hype man, too. He almost hit the floor, too. That was funny. Which is your uh, favorite Bone Thug? My favorite is Busy. It's always that. been Busy. Busy's busy. He gets busy. I mean, that's what it is. He's got, and I don't know. What's your favorite Bone Thug song? I see your question, DJ Hyperactive. We'll get to it soon. Crossroads. Oh, it's a beautiful one. I respect that. So, Adam, I'm a, but I am also a big fan of First of the Month too. Oof. I mean, it's classic shit. Like, it just those are songs you put on, and it just gives you that good feeling. Um, DJ Hyperactive wants to know of your albums, which is your favorite, and why? They're all my favorites, man. Because because at every individual time, they're all very personal creations to me. So they're all my favorites, you know. Just like you know, with all the all the loving humanity is my favorite. You know what I mean? I get excited when I see somebody helping somebody. You know what I mean? My, my they're all my favorites. I can't not. Have, I can't have a specific favorite because they're all my favorite, you know. Because at one time it was my favorite, oh, it was my favorite album, you know. But I've said that for every album, so they're all my favorites. Do you have a favorite song? Yeah, Judgment Day is my favorite song. That's awesome. Um, so I guess we could get back to your uh, albums and your journey. So after Emergency. Uh, what's going on in your life? No, I'm just chilling, hanging out online with PB Caffeine, wondering what I'm going to do next, thinking, hmm. And, he, and I met him online just through being Seeb and him being a producer. We connected. He's in Harlem, and I'm here in New Brunswick. Decided that, you know what, I like your beats, you like my raps, let's get something together. So we came up with the next album. So this one I did really listen to. Um, and you had sent it to me, which is very courteous of you. Um, if I'm not mistaken, there's a bit of a theme going on on this project, a little bit of a story. So what I first loved about it is the first track is an instrumental, right? Uh, I don't yeah, actually sure. And I thought that was such a throwback to the classic era where you gave the, the producer, the DJ, let's say, the opportunity to shine. <clears throat> and I thought that was that was nice. That just showed, like, a way to give love. And it was amazing. It was wavy. It was all over. It just slaps. It was, like, such a groovy experience. And then the next track starts, and Seab comes on through. And it kind of sounds like somebody's busted into your place prematurely. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you're not ready for them yet. And you just kind of bust out this whole thing. Well, I guess if you're here, and then you do, you drop your rhymes, you do your whole thing. The next track is a recipe for, I don't know, I don't remember what it was specifically, but I remember you just list a bunch of shit in a kind of goofy, comical way. And I have to give you props on that, because like I said, you, it feels like you have a theatrical kind of background with it. And as you said, you, you did some uh, musical work for plays, and you've been involved in that. Uh, so I felt that it was funny. It was like, you know what? Like, it was like a good skit, like a good, like short little interlude, but then it just bust into like this grand opening now that we got the recipe. <laughs> and then, so like really the album starts on track four 
and everything was a little bit of a prequel and then you get this whole thing and now you're super invested and then as you go throughout the project it's like let's get drunk on these different varieties of experiences that you're getting with Steve Dread. And it, each track kind of has its own unique vibe and wavelength that seems to maybe correspond with whatever you were drinking that day. I don't know. That's kind of what the album gave off to me. And that's why I asked earlier about the construction because it felt very deliberate. And uh, to me, that's masterful, right? That's when you start getting to the top tier level of album writing is when you can create an experience that makes me feel compelled to just keep listening to the next track and the next track because it feels like I'm going through almost a cinematic universe through your project. So I wanted to commend you on that because it's extremely well done in my opinion. And Thank uh, you. I guess confirm, was that kind of what's happening on your project? So when PB sent me the beats, of course, I loved them off the hop, you know, they had that organic band sound going on. And I'm like, oh, man, this is great. I'm like, okay, so let's compile an album, but what are we going to call it? And it's at a time when micro breweries are popping off all over the place. People are getting their liquid beer on and stuff like that. So we're like, let's call it CDPB Micro Brewery. It's going to be a concept album without a concept. And, uh, I was like, we're going to name every song after a beer, but we're not going to talk about anything beer-related, which didn't work out at all, by the way. <coughs> yeah, thanks for watching, DJ Hyperactive. He's uh, taken off for the night, but thanks Thank for being you. here with us. It was a real pleasure having you and interacting. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I really didn't intend. By the time I finished writing the album, I looked back and I'm like, oh, man, there, there is a concept. What, what 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 did I do? I didn't want there to be a concept, but it, it, it the album wrote itself pretty much. I I just did the writing, you know. I don't know how to explain it, but once the beat drops, I'm like, this is what's going on. Okay, perfect, done. And I love the flow on it. I love the energy. It it really like I don't I don't know. Who would you say is your biggest inspiration from a flow perspective? Because I know you listen to yourself, but a younger you would have had other inspirations. Yeah, probably in like the prodigy area. I know? like that. But like happy prodigy. Yeah, definitely. That's a good way to describe that. Um all right, so that would be like the most recent album that has been released publicly. I think I saw on your band camp that there were like three or four songs that you put out in 2020. Uh, did this last album drop before COVID? I forgot to check when it came out. It, it, it did. It came out, if I'm correct, it came out January 1st. Okay, so um, you put that out. You're getting ready to do your charity shows. Why do we talk about your charity shows? Because I saw that you oh. have that going on in your life too. I must talk about how fucking altruistic you are with your music for a second. Okay, so I just raise food whenever I play a show and I donate to the soup kitchen <laughs> or homeless shelters wherever I go. It's that simple. Uh, there's like a, a cover charge and you get a discount if you give me a non-perishable food item which I'll take to one of those places. It's not, it's not, it's not much. It's all good. Uh, what, what was that fucking word? Excuse my language. What was that word you said? Did you say altruistic? Altruistic <laughs> is selfless. Oh, man. Now that's just how it is, man. Each one teach one. One man help another. We do for we. I like that. Okay, I see we do for we all over the internet. Like, y'all do it with the BME. 
uh it's definitely a hashtag so if you really want to see what's going on for all of these dudes just go on facebook and type in uh bme or we do for we and you're gonna see like everything like they tag all their shit with this so what's the story behind we do for we which may i say is excellent branding it's so catchy so we do for we was created by uh nfp who goes by terry thomas I asked my brand partner and, you know, one of my, my, my brothers, you know, uh, he created this because he truly believes that everyone should be helping everyone for the greater good. We do for we. Okay. Humans helping other humans without any expectation of anything in return. Or even better, humans helping humans knowing they're going to keep helping humans. Share for a share, like for a like, buy for a buy, word for a word, life for a life, rhyme for a rhyme. That's really cool. So it's effectively, is it like a real organization or is it more of a idea that you're trying to share? First, it's definitely an idea. Uh, I'm not even sure if we ever thought of making it an organization, but the idea is this. If... Uh, I post a track and you share it, I'm going to find something of yours to share. Or if we both post a track, it's cool. Might not even listen to it, but I'll share it so other people can. It only takes six seconds. So effectively, it's, it's basically like the golden rule in a sense. It's like putting out into the world that same kind of thing, but also, you know, respecting the love. I had a, just on that idea, right? So... One time I'm in one of those Montreal hip-hop Facebook groups and dude puts this salty post where he was like, nobody likes anybody. I bet if I post this, no one's going to listen. And I was just feeling, you know what? And I clicked and I listened and I gave him a comment and I put a little screenshot showing I liked the video. Dude turned out to be my homeboy today. And you know what? Just on that idea, he started sharing my shit. He links me up a little bit later. And this is in COVID, right? So we're talking like maybe August. He's like, yo. I got this show opportunity. It's going to be like online and shit. Da, 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 da. Let's go do it. And I'm like, wow, who would have thought just liking a guy's song would lead to a show opportunity? In my head, that's, that's a trip, man. That was fucking cool. So I really love that because even in my life, I've experienced the benefits of the mentality that you're preaching. And so big respect on that. And if you did turn that into an app, let's say, you could have a network that you build. That would be powerful. Not going to lie, that could be like a, a really big idea that you could run with. Um, I'm not going to run with it. It's your idea. So uh, mm -hmm. you guys should talk about that because it's a, it's a cool thing. I, I see a lot of people online right now, a lot of people on the Internet, a lot of rappers. There's so many rappers. There's so many artists. But imagine if we like work together and all spun each. So like let's say we all had 200 people on a playlist on Spotify. You might not be a Spotify guy, but it's just for the example. Spotify tracks monthly listeners. So if we all just listen to that playlist one time and there were 200 people there, everybody gets 200 monthly listeners for free. Like, yeah. And all it would be is yeah. you hit play, go to sleep, wake up the next day, and then you have 10 of those playlists. Now we all have 1,000 monthly listeners. Like We have the just, We Do For We Network. If that's you what post a song in there, you make damn sure you shared one of our tracks. I absolutely will. I've shared a bunch of BME shit, so and we have, oh, we do for we stuff. So I'm, not I'm pretty I'm sure. To you. I'm not talking to you in particular, young fella. 
No, nah, no, nah, I wasn't taking it like that. I was just saying, I personally have shared a bunch of their stuff because, yo, there's a lot of cool, there's a lot of, first of all, Sea of Dread's music is actually just fucking fun. I'm not going to say it comes off like high polish. It's more on that lo-fi fucking just dude knows how to spit some rhymes and fucking make it proper, but it feels so fun. And I think that's my favorite part of your music. And anyone that's watching this will know at this point, Sea of Dread is a very positive, joyful kind of fellow in terms of the spirit he puts out into the world. And if you want to listen to like all that classic shit, but make it like like super fun, that's that's what you're getting out of Sea of Dread. And I love that about you. It, it honestly, it does feel very East Coast. If I were to stereotype Canada a bit, you have a very East Coast vibe in that regard, and I like it. Very maritime. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay. Do you consider yourself more of a Maritimes artist or more of a Montreal artist? I'm a Montreal <clears throat> artist, man. I'll stick to the foundation. Um, that's where my writing style comes from. It's, you know, it's just who I am like, as an artist. It's all Montreal, you know, the Patois, the French, you know, you know, I started playing, trying to jump on stage with bands in Montreal, just to freestyle with them before, way before I came down here. And right. Yeah. It's just, yeah, that's it. So you just keep it real to the core of where you come from. And like I said earlier, every interview I saw, you shouted out Montreal. So for me, I don't know. That's cool. You shouted out NDG. I'm an NDG right now. That's fucking dope. I have big respect yeah. for that. But for me, uh, it's cool because I, I like, fucking lived. I, I lived in. Uh, I lived on Grand Boulevard when I was a kid. Behind, behind the tra- behind the tracks, we used to go underneath the John and looking down to get up to fucking Sherbrooke. It was great. Man, I lived in the apartment buildings down closer to Saint Jacques. Man, we fucking run through all of there, climb out of the buildings and shit. Lived on fucking Decarry. Lived on Prudhoe. Lived on Harvard. Man, That's what's man. up, man. I love it. That's my hood. I can't help it. It just makes me happy. But it's cool because you're from here and you're doing big things today. And it just goes to because yo. Something that was said to me is how big uh, NDG and, you know, I'm, I'm not saying other hoods aren't, but the cultural influence of NDG on Montreal hip hop is huge, especially with D Shade and them coming there. And then if I'm not mistaken, Blaster and them also come from there. I don't know if you know DJ Blaster. Mm. No, I do not. That dude's dope. He's on Twitch. I don't know if you, you should get on Twitch, man. There's a lot of fun. Uh, you don't like to listen to a lot of new music, but these guys are dope DJs playing classic jams, man. Really talented right people. So, like, uh, Twitch has a lot of that that I've been enjoying. Um, but, I don't know. There's just a bunch of people from NDG that have done a lot. So, I think that's just cool that it ends up even being part of your story in a way that you're yeah, all I'm, over NDG, man. That's a lot of NDG spots you named. <clears throat> I know uh, I know people like Widget and uh, Heavy. And, Yo, uh, I performed Chuck. with Widget. No, and King Jung and Brother Anthony. I know all these guys. I know all these 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 guys are my... Homies, man, from hip-hop school, freestyling on 3rd Avenue ever done back in the day before any of us were really doing live shows. Uh, I remember getting them on stage with me at Argyle Academy playing a show with uh, Sans Pression. They joined me on stage. It was dope. I think it was their first show, I'm pretty sure. We were just freestyling the fuck out of everything. That's amazing. <laughs> you say that was like Sans Pression's first show? <clears throat> no, at their show, uh, uh, Heavy Widget and uh, Jungle. Right, 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 right. I know those dudes uh, through Spades, so I know who you're talking yeah, about there. 100. 100. Props to them, man. They're still my homies, man. 100. 
if I'm not mistaken, this a lot of them are still at it to this day. Oh yeah, man. Oh yeah, for sure. Jungles do it super good, man. Super good. That's dope, man. Dude, super good. I'm so proud of that guy. Props to you, homie. Props to King Jong. <clears throat> I love that, man. A lot. Sometimes people get jealous in life. This guy's just showing love left, right, and center. Um. So yeah. No, I, I like it when I like it when people do a good things, man. If you succeed, it's great. If you're down, I want to help you. That's the way people should be, I think. Um. So yeah. What what what's up with the current album? How far into the process are you for your eighth project? And what's it called? Do you have a name? Not right now. Uh, I'm debating on calling it the Rhyme Minister. It is a good title. You know, but it's still up in the air. And I'm about four tracks deep. Fair enough. You know, I think it's gonna be a twelve-track album. Who's uh, yeah. doing the beats? BME, buddy. Fair enough. I, I might make a couple myself for it. I don't know. I haven't decided. I haven't opened up the Fruity Loops in a few years. Um, did you uh, did you make a lot of beats over your career? <laughs> yeah, I did. I made a few. Made quite just, a few. How come you stopped? I don't know. I got signed to a record label who said they could make the beats for me. And as a lyricist, I was like, okay. Just make the music all wrapped to a purpose. Maybe it's taking the lazy way out, but still. I know how to make a beat. So I'm cool if I decide to. So I get that. Um, do you, like, in the future, but, like, I guess because you're considering it now, is there a part of you then, I guess, that just misses that part? Of, like, is there more control in it? Or what is it that makes well, you want to consider doing it? For me, it'll be, I I just, I can't find a beat that's right for me. Got to make it myself. Okay. Um, how long does it take to make a beat for you? Oh, it all depends. Sometimes I put urgency on it. It could be a day and a half. The other time, it takes two to three days. Take my time when it comes to beats. I, w I, would, I don't know how long it's supposed to take to make a beat, but that sounds pretty fast to me. I'm not going to lie. Um... I don't know. That seems pretty fresh. Do you do a lot of features with people, or are you mostly like a solo guy? I'm pretty solo. If I do features lately, it's been with members of my record label. And if I do features outside of my record label, unfortunately, I'm out to charge people. <laughs> Fair enough. That's, uh, I guess, the, gay, the game works. But as you said, you know your value, and having talked to you now for good two and a half hours here or maybe a little less for the live part of the stream uh there is a definite sense of just you deserving that like you put in the work you put in so much time and effort into this and i hear it in the way you rap like i don't know how better to describe that but you can kind of hear the experience in your timing it's mostly in your timing that it shines to me Right, because you're not relying on a sound engineer to like fucking, you know, make it sound perfect. Like you just have this pristine delivery and you can hear it when you do your little freestyles. Um, all of it. It's just so finessed. And I just find that really impressive. Um you know what you should check out? I don't know if you're down for something like that, but there's this online virtual cipher thing I've been going to on Sunday nights where they have open mics called end of the week where basically you jump on a zoom call and you just fucking rap at the peeps you might love that shit 
And if you show <laughs> them how good you are, they have a contest. And you can basically compete as an MC. And there's a couple of rounds. You do a written over a beat. You do a written a cappella. Then there's this shit where you hold up items. So I would hold up like a, a this, and then you would have to rap about the book, specifically what you're seeing. Then there's some shit where the beat maker switches it up. And then there's the last round where it's a proper cipher and everyone's going four bars. I think you'd slay it. So I'm just saying, if you're down for something like that, I can link you up with the details so you can check out yeah. what it's like. Yeah, link me the details. Because, man, you, you kill it. Um, I do think we are coming up to the end of this just because uh, I'm getting kind of hungry. I'm not going to lie. I didn't eat before this. But uh, I, I'm also not sure what else to say. We've gotten to the present day, Seeb. We've already discussed a bit your future. You're kind of a live-in-the-moment guy. I've had a wonderful time talking to you, dude. It has been super my pleasure. But before we do the wrap-up and all, can you do another freestyle, dude? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, folks. We run another time. I gotta go. But definitely spit a freestyle rhyme and rock another flow. Looking at the W to mean I'm trying to win. I mean, I'm looking at something, but that ain't under my chin. I'm up the dome. Mr. C. Dread, I'm at home. Rocking video on the hangout zone, but that's cool. I'ma do my thing. Name drop. Give it a proper two, but don't stop. Like the ticket to talk of any clock. Keep ticket. I'm in the mix and stay wicked. Let me flip it. Try to switch it. The one up on my clot. Watch a bad man come true with on the shot. When they upon the rooftop, when we pop a cops, it's okay. You can't stop it. Nigga rocks a lot. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Fair enough, man. I like that a lot. That was really fun. All right, dude. Do you have any final thoughts for the peeps before we do the little outro speech thing? Uh, love yourself more today than you did yesterday. Uh, appreciate the people around you and uh, never, ever, ever, ever leave your humanity out of the question. That's a fantastic, fantastic way to end it. I think it's a great summation of everything that you've expressed. Um, dude, like I said, it's been a pleasure. I wasn't really a thousand percent sure what this interview was going to be like, but I kind of wanted to know your story better because it's the best way to appreciate a person's music is something I've learned as a reviewer, right? So now when I can go back to your other tracks, I'm going to be able to like have a deeper appreciation for the sense of who you are. And I, I appreciate you sharing as much as you did, right? Like it, It's really cool of you. Um, you got real open, and I think it made it really dope. I think people could learn from this and you shared some powerful wisdom on the power of networking. And I, I guarantee that a lot of the opportunities that have come in your life come from that energy that you put out. Cause like you said, all of this came when, you know, when you started putting out this positive more energy and maybe there were lessons to be learned along the way. But from what I've understood in this, this life that we do for we mentality is, is kind of what attracts the right kind of people. So I really just thank you for sharing all of that with us on that note. I'm going to do my little wrap-up speech, so thank y'all for watching. So for those of you that are live with us on Twitch, big ups y'all. For those of you that are not, you can catch the next interviews in the future, including a future one with Steve Dre. We're going to have the man's back. That's what it's going to be. I'm certain we can find more stuff to talk about. But yeah, mm -hmm. twitch.tv slash behind that suit for everybody that's not on Twitch right now. For everybody else, links in the description. Y'all can follow the man and show some love. Subscribe. Uh, leave some comments down so that we have more questions for part two because definitely I'm going to go check that out if you want to know more stuff about the man. Um, 
Subscribe if you want to see more interviews and follow and whatever platform you're on. Anyway, special thanks to the patrons. Ismail Gadamsi, Chris Pato, Jonathan Barnes, DJ Black, Hurricane, Lindo Williams, and Scribble. They're dope. Support what we do. And if you want to be cool like them, you can head over to patreon.com slash behind that suit and support what we do. That would be real dope of you. And I make music myself as a touchdown. And again, links in description. As always, let me know what you think. And on that note, everybody, live long and prosper.